Welcome back, everybody, to the Sorry to Interrupt podcast. We are back. Uh, it's been a little bit longer hiatus than we have wanted, but it's 2020. Everything's up in the air. Tom, it's good to talk to you, sir. How are you? What's going on, man? I just want to tell all the fans out there showing on my sound a little weird. Um, you know, we're going through a few things between each other, but we're not going to talk about that. Um, I don't want to bring it up. Uh-oh. I'm just kidding. That that was me making Uh-oh. fun of LeBron for saying um, <laughs> for saying basically there's a lot of things going on, but I don't want to talk about that. I don't want to bring it up after bringing it up. Okay, so he was talking about Dwight, right? Um, I mean, I, I would assume so. If I was a betting man, I would put all my money down on Dwight. He'd be a minus ten thousand favorite for that. He's alienated every single team he's been on in the league. You got JR down there. Uh, it's like the ultimate, like, can't live with you, can't live without you. But kind the thing of is, uh, it's got to be Dwight. It's either Dwight or Deion Waiters, and Deion Waiters has been playing well, so it's got to be Dwight because, I mean, keep in mind, Dwight, um, sorry, J.R. Smith won a championship with LeBron, so I think they're cool. You know what's funny, though, is they did win that title, but it was two years later when LeBron absolutely lost it on him, and he punched the wall that, you know, hurt his hand that cost him the finals that year. Either oh, that's way, what cost him the finals? <laughs> he says it does. I, I, I'm just calling out LeBron. You're probably the second greatest player of all time. There's not too much debate there. I can't take between that and then not getting used to fans being there, honestly. And I'm not usually one for calling players out for bitching, but stop bitching. Okay. We weren't going to lead with NBA, but I'm so happy you did that awesome baiting to start this off because isn't it incredible that Dion Waiters is the third person we bring up with this Laker team that LeBron could have called out? Yeah, right? Absolutely. <laughs> He's, he, I don't know. I mean, pre-bubble, obviously, they had Rajon Rondo and Bradley. They were looking like, you know, the all-world team here, and now – they can't hit an open shot if their life depended on it, unless your name is Anthony Davis. LeBron's not even playing well. Man, we'll get into this later because I think we're going to go up and down the Western Conference and the Eastern Conference as the playoffs are exactly a week away. Uh, next Monday they start. But, man, there are some serious questions with a lot of the top contenders. I don't know if some teams are just you know, taking it easy, if some teams are happy with their positioning, if they're still getting acclimated to the surroundings. I don't know what's going on, but there's some weird shit. Yeah, absolutely, man. I mean, I think there is a lot of teams, you don't want to call it tanking, obviously, but they're they're taking it easy. Well, it's never tanking if you're, if you're just, you know, coasting towards the postseason. I think health and and just acclimating to rotations and getting back into the swing of things after four months off is is kind of the end-all, be-all. But, hey, let's talk about that in a little bit. I want to start today's podcast off by going into your wheelhouse, which has been golf in the last little bit. And I want Golf Corner to start early. The PGA Championships were this weekend. It was one for the books. I have thoughts on it. I did watch it. I had fun. But you're our guru, so... Give me your thoughts on what happened this weekend. Well, my foursome, I don't know if you were checking the Twitter, but Sorry Sports did tweet out a foursome because we were unable to do a podcast. Um, All of the guys made the cut, so we'll take that, right? Yeah, that's not a bad bad start right there. You know, you look at Friday and say, hey, my guys are in here. So good job by you tweeting that out, and good job by you getting those guys heading into the weekend. 
Thank you. Just to uh, just to recap, I had Patrick Cantlay, Brooks, who's been my guy every single week, JT, and uh, Gary Woodland as my four. Obviously, none of them won, but Brooks did fish, finish within the top ten. Um, he absolutely shit the bed and fell apart on Sunday, the the winning day. Justin Thomas finished 37th. Patrick Cantlay finished 43rd. Um, and then my final guy, Gary Woodland. Um, did he make the cut, or am I making myself look like an ass here? That's your call, my man. I watched Saturday, Sunday. I can't remember watching him play, but I wasn't watching. I was watching, like, the last rounds. Looks like he either withdrew or missed the cut, my friend. So I was. Uh-oh. You got three or four, then. Three of four, and then I had one top ten with Brooks. Um, Brooks. By the way, Brooks's interview after Saturday, heading into the final round, was all time. Oh, absolutely. Brooks did not finish top ten either. Um, I ended up getting a top thirty with Brooks. So he really, I mean, he finished fucking plus four on on Sunday. So that's not good. Um, yeah, Brooks goes ahead and says. I believe he was being asked about nerves or something like that and says, well, out of the top race here, I think I think Dustin Johnson has one major and everybody else has none. So he was basically saying this tournament runs through me. Yeah, they, they asked him, like, who do you look at heading into Sunday? And, like, do you consider any of these guys, you know, a difficult challenge? And he answered exactly what you said. It, it was great. And I, I love that. I absolutely love that on the tour. Well, with that being said, there should have been a guy that he considered a difficult challenge, and that is a PGA Tour rookie, Colin Morikawa, who won the um, the charity tournament at Merrifield Village the week before the Memorial Tournament. And I'll tell you what, Sean, this guy is he's a killer. He is he has made twenty seven starts on the PGA Tour. He has three wins, one missed cut. And he's 23, right? Um, I believe he's 23, yes. Yeah, so, I mean, he's in that kind of next generation, right after the Kepkas and the Rorys. He's in that next generation, and, I mean, he's going to – I think everybody was talking about today, like, is he the next Tiger? You know, we've been infatuated I was going to say the same thing. Forever. Talk about the next Michael Jordan. We talk about the next Tiger. Everybody said it was Rory, then it was Spieth. Um and now we're talking about Colin Morikawa being that guy. I mean, listen, he is plenty long off the tee. You saw that on the 16th hole when he fucking stepped up there and said, I'm going to grab this tournament by the throat and drives the green and sets himself up for an eagle putt that he obviously drained. He is, I, I believe I already said this um, a few podcasts ago when he did win the nationwide tournament, or, or I'm sorry, the workday uh, charity tournament where experts are saying he's the best um, iron player on the tour aside from Tiger Woods in his prime. And then clearly you saw what he can do with his short wedges when he chipped in on 14 and he's ice cold ice in his veins with the putter as well. He's got the full, he's got the full game. I mean, listen, he's not going to go out there and Bryson DeChambeau you, but clearly he can hit bombs. He looked awesome, man. I mean, that shot on 16, I mean, I listen, mean, this is how you win tournaments. You you win tournaments in strokes gained putting and and fairways hit driving. And guess who led it in both? 
Well, Nick Faldo talked about how that's an I, that's an all-time shot that he hit on that hole. Oh, yeah. I could only imagine if, you know, circumstances were different because the announcers were just – took a shit on the, on, the, on the podium basically because they just lost their minds. That shot, the fans probably would have gone apeshit if they were there. I mean – for him to just pull driver, being tied for first place, and saying somebody's got to go grab this, being a rookie on the tour, and just pulling out the driver and saying, fuck it, I'm going for it. And then to be able to pull it off, and not even just, oh, hit it into the short rough right outside, to drive it and roll it right up to the hole, an incredible shot. Incredible shot, and this kid has ice in his veins. I think it's blatantly obvious, especially with how he's done in his young career on the tour his third win now and his most significant. I got to tell you what, man, I was just kind of like, you know, the storm kind of relocated me up to my parents' spot, and I was watching Saturday and most of Sunday, almost all of Sunday. Well, your dad's a golf Saturday guy, right? With my father, yeah, he's a huge golf guy. And How does he, he feel? Was just, he was just remarking about how great of a time this is to be an up-and-coming diehard fan or even a casual fan on the tour i'll tell you what you got this, your senior oh go ahead given this quarantine now i mean we've talked about it on the pod before i've been playing golf i've been getting a lot better at golf but i've been playing golf for about two years and i i never i watched you know the masters and a few other big tournaments but i, I wouldn't say i was a diehard golf fan or even an avid golf fan this quarantine, your dad is absolutely right, given the coronavirus and golf being the first sport to actually come back. I'm, I'm an avid fan now. I can talk golf. I know the big guys. I know the middle guys. I even know some of the guys coming up on the Corn Ferry Tour and whatnot and the Web.com Tour. I've become a diehard golfer, and honestly, talking favorite sports to watch right now Sean it is my second favorite sports to watch sport to watch behind basketball I mean that's fucking awesome and and kind of to his point was you know you've still got your elder statesmen who are must watch TV whenever a tournament starts you've got Tiger and you got Phil who can get generate magic at any time I mean they could do what they did this weekend I mean let's just say Phil had some magic on the uh on the set. On the microphone. With, with, some of his, with some of his comments, which is fucking great. But, you know, you're, you're going to watch and hone in on those guys. Then you've got that generation of Rory and Kepka and Fowler. And then you're heading into these younger guys that we've talked about, culminating with Morikawa here this weekend. I think it's awesome. I mean, you know, you invited me out on the course a couple weekends ago. I couldn't make it. But... I mean, as just somebody who was never really somebody who was interested in watching it other than for the brand names, which are Tiger or Phil, and then you know some of the guys. I've always been a, a Kepka guy. It, it, it's so much fun. And the, the, you're looking at generations who are going to be focal points. They're, they have the personalities. They have the games. They have the innovation. They use analytics. It, these are fun people to watch play, whether they're villainous, kind of like a DeChambeau, or or they're somebody like a Morikawa who gets his third win on the PGA. It's absolutely awesome. It's a lot of fun. I understand now why people fall in love with this sport, but this is a golden age to become a fan and really hone in on talking golf, watching golf, and falling in love with a couple people on the tour. It's great. 
Absolutely, man. There's so many young guys or, or even, I mean, I think Justin Thomas is only like 25 to 27 years old. I mean, John Rahm is like 24, 25. These guys that have been around for a little bit that seem like they're elder statesmen, they're really not that old. They got another good 12 years of golf. And then you obviously still have everybody in between that and then Tiger and Phil still doing it. But I think this sport is in a better place than it's ever been, even in Tiger's heyday. That being said, because it's more about the sport and a multitude of guys than it is just Tiger Watch. You know, Tiger's coming, Tiger this, Tiger that. And don't get me wrong, I got wrapped up in that too, even as a kid. But now it's more about the sport, and it's about the equipment, and it's about the 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 clothing, and it's about the courses and all that stuff. Where before it was just about let's watch Tiger play. Well, it's crossing a couple of different a different levels. You know, you you've got your style and and, and golf swag, and you've got personality. And the golf swag has has crossed over almost into regular swag because the the attire is much much cooler than it used to be i'll just say that oh dude it's dope and you can you know you can absolutely credit tiger with that and and one guy whose name we didn't even mention to show how deep the talent pool is and how deep the personality pool is is dustin johnson who, fin- who finished tied for second at minus 11 this this tournament it's freaking dustin, amazing dustin johnson was a tough watch because he needed to make a couple birdies, and he seemed content. What did you think about a couple of the guys, such as, you know, you're, you're looking at Kepka, right? Like, let's take him, for example. Kepka fell apart. He, Absolutely. He kicks ass on the first hole, and you think, okay, here we go. He's he's backing up his talk. So what, were you, what was your thoughts on him going into, you know, the next couple holes and how he just fell apart. What was, what were the parts of his game that really fell short? And DeChambeau, a a guy that everybody had their eyes on. What did you take away from him in this tournament? All right. Well, first I'll go over, I'll talk about Tony Finau first. Okay. Um, I am a huge Tony Finau fan. I love his swing. I just love that short swing that generates Bryson DeChambeau power, but it looks a lot more natural than DeChambeau. He doesn't look like his, his knee is going to dislocate every time he every time he swings a golf club. Yet he has 200 mile an hour golf club speed, or or whatever it is. Um, but with that being said, Finau fell apart as he usually does in every single tournament. Sunday comes around and you're just waiting for the car accident, and there it was. As for um, who are we talking about next, Brooks? I was going to go Brooks and then Bryson. Brooks. I think, listen, now this guy is an absolute killer. I mean, he's won the this tournament two years running consecutively, and he was basically going for the three-peat here. Obviously, he's talked about his knee being in trouble and whatnot. I think he's starting to turn it on. He's really looking to get into that FedEx um, playoff, with that being said, with 15 milli on the line. As for just Sunday individually, obviously after the first hole I was feeling good about him, but then you started to see it snowball. He was missing the fairways, nothing started to work for him, and then he just crumbled. And I mean, shit, he went from being in contention for the win to tied for 29th. So that just goes to show you how badly he fell behind. Yeah, that's real. It's really rough, especially sometimes, after especially the shit with. He talked. 
with no fans out there and, and ESPN having coverage, which I thought was awesome, basically from 8 o'clock in the morning to 9 o'clock at night, and you can really watch these players. I mean, I'm sure you saw it too. You, you just watched him fall apart out there. Well, it went to CBS after, you know, into yesterday. Um, but, no, I, I'm, I'm with you on that. I just wanted you to talk to everybody who maybe missed out on it. Yeah. Like what parts of his game – fell apart because he was in contention. And like I mentioned before, he, he talked the talk, but he didn't walk the walk. But after the first, he thought he was going to. Um, yeah, and, and, Bryson, and then I have a big picture for you. Historically, he's been able to walk the walk. Bryson, same shit, different day, man. I'm, I've been talking about it since he came back from the quarantine, putting on God knows how much weight, 40 pounds or something like that. It looks like a solid 40 pounds. If you look at a side-by-side of his old picture, I don't know how you feel. I think that's what it was documented at, right? I think we've even brought it up a few times on the pod. Yeah, so, I mean, hitting absolute rockets off the tee, but then guess what failed him? His putter and his short wedges. Talking the 56-degree through 60-degree wedges, he just cannot get it close to the hole. Then he has a longer putt than he should, and he misses it, and that's what keeps him out of contention. This guy, I mean, listen, I know he's using all these analytics and shit. Maybe one of these analytics should tell him to work on his short game. (laughs) <laughs> well, that's one of the knocks on this whole new style of his, right? I mean, he doesn't have a full bag. And if he's not able to execute with hitting the ball as far as he possibly can, as accurately as he can, and shorten the game as much as he possibly can, this is something that can happen to him. I appreciate the shortening of the game, and I definitely think it does shave a few strokes off of his game, just taking most of the irons out of play. But, hey, you still got to put the ball in the hole, right? Unless you hit an ace Overall every time, you got to put the ball in the changed. hole. And I'd like to see him hit an ace every time. I'd like to see him hit an 18, you know, but that's just not going to happen. No, and it has definitely drawn ire of some of his contemporaries and competitors on the tour. I have a big picture question for you, man, because I kind of got this thought in my head as I was watching yesterday. And, you know, we're... We talked about earlier and kind of started this conversation with how people were hoping that Morikawa now could be the next Tiger. And we've been kind of hoping for the next Tiger for since Tiger was Tiger back in, you mm-hmm. know, as, as most recently as 12 years ago. Well, we've been hoping for the next Tiger since his wife took a, uh, what was it, a three-wood to his, to his Escalade? It was something like that. Yeah, yeah. About the same. But it's the same thing for Michael Jordan. Ever since MJ retired, <laughs> we've been looking for the next MJ. First, it was Kobe. Then it was LeBron. Yada yada yada. I mean, guess what, bro? To answer your question, there's never going to be another Tiger. No one's ever going to win that consistently, that often. One. Well, what I was. I'm sorry. I, go what ahead. I was gonna. No, what I was gonna finish my question with was, we see a guy like Kepka who is so brash and is so confident and is trying to really generate the success he's had in majors towards that intimidation factor on Sunday where he walks out there and immediately the competition freezes. What I was going to ask was, do you think it's simply a product of the fact that the talent pool is just so much more vast now or that we just simply won't ever have some kind of force like that ever again i think it's i think it's those are two major variables but there's a, there's a, there's more variables than that i think one golf is a lot deeper 
Golf is a lot more talented. When Phil Mickelson is the number two player in the world behind Tiger Woods and he wins maybe a tournament or two a year, and then, I mean, he's got one major, or, or I think he's got three majors under his belt total, and that's your second best competition. I mean, come on, what are, what are we talking about here? Not to mention that these. another variable is that Tiger won in such an amazing clip. None of these players are going to be able to do that. Tiger stepped on the course, and everybody was like, who's playing for second? I think right. that – and Tiger didn't have to talk. Like Brooks with that talking shit, the intimidation factor was there with Tiger. The second he put on that Sunday red, everybody was like, fuck, it's yeah, over. Yeah, it was over. Like, and that was the thing about Tiger, and this dude just won, and he could do everything drive the ball further than anybody, hit his irons more flush than anybody. Obviously, you've seen all the chips that he's made and the creative plays near the hole. And the same thing with the putter. I've never seen a more complete golfer. You never will. And I just think between the talent pool, the intimidation factor, the genuine fame where he introduced so many people to golf just off being Tiger Woods, I don't think that's ever going to happen again. I think golf is going to sell itself more now than Tiger Woods will. And I think more celebrities outside of golfers are going to grow the game more than any golfer will. I just think all those things, we're never going to have another Tiger Woods. And you know what? I'm over. I'm okay with that. I'm okay with not having another MJ and having a LeBron or having a Kobe or whatever. I respect that. Because the uh, and, game, because look at it, uh, look at it from basketball's perspective. Okay, we don't have another MJ, but the game has a lot more talented players in the league than it did when MJ was around. And I think basketball's in a hell of a lot better of a place in general. Yeah, I think that's an interesting thing, right? I mean, they are different sports, but they both really succeed when you have one A plus superstar. You know, because you're everyone else is trying to take them down and. And the fan is going to watch regardless of whether they go down and you're rooting against them or whether you're going to see something you might never, ever see again. So that's an that's an interesting perspective. I thought you were going to go that way, but I wanted to hear that one more thing before we move on. I want to get your I got to give you my foursome, too, for the Wyndham. Well, I want to hear that. But before we certainly move on just from the PGA championship. What did you take away from the course? How did you think the course held up? How do you think the players thought about the course? And what were your takeaways watching on TV? I thought the course was beautiful and I'd love to play it. Um, I think that the players that played early on in the morning had, or not early on in the morning, but in the like 11 o'clock range, had a distinct advantage over the players that played later. Um, I just think that I think the scores reflected that as well. Um, and, you know, we're sitting here, obviously a massive power outage sitting in. Luckily, I didn't lose power, but my mom's house did. I'm sure everybody you know did. I know you did. We're sitting here sweating our balls off at hundred and basically 100 degrees. And Harding Park is sitting at 64. The ball doesn't travel as far, you know? No, it's hard cutting through that fog too, or whatever they call it out there. It, it's uh, it's speculation leading up to this tournament, especially about guys like Tiger with his back, Kepka with his knee. You're kind of wondering how these guys are going to hold up. When, well, they say when the that Tiger's muscles aren't getting as warm as fast. They say that Tiger to get that back loosened up 
it takes him like three hours before a game or before a round. Before a round, yeah, that makes total sense. And I mean, a lot of these older golfers, I'm sure it takes them a lot longer to warm up. Unless your name's Brooks Kepka, where you don't even go through a practice round. You just roll up to the first tee about 10 minutes before and you're Bentley. Which is funny because especially given his knee, you know, you, you still have to worry about something like that really warming up given the torque that he puts on that joint. Well, a few weeks ago he said it was hurt. Then he said it was fine. So I don't know. Does he know if it's hurt or if it's fine? Only he knows, and I'm sure he wasn't going to lead anything on heading into Sunday. But anyway, man, you've been here for some heading up for this weekend. What's this weekend's tournament, and who are you looking at? So this weekend we have the Wyndham Championship. Um, a lot of the guys aren't playing in this one, but guess who is? Who? This is the last, this is the last tournament before the FedEx Cup. It is held in Greensboro, North Carolina. That place sounds familiar. Did something significant happen there? Well, Greensboro is where they played the ACC college basketball tournament forever. Okay, okay. Um, our guy, Brooks Kepka, is participating in this tournament. Hey. Um, he is going – I'm going to roll it out there again. I've been a week late every <laughs> for a couple of my picks, so I'm going to go ahead and take Brooks. Uh, as one of my foursome, I just think he really wants to get into that FedEx. I'm not sure if he's qualified for it yet. A win would be nice here. Another guy I have, he's always around the top 10, top 25. I hate his guts almost as much as I hate Bryson DeChambeau. Might hate him a little more, the all-time scumbag of golf, and that's Patrick Reed. Hell yeah, I knew you were going with him. Well, once I said the all-time scumbag of golf. <laughs> does, there's not a lot of narrowing down there. Not at all. Another guy that played great for the through the first three days of this PGA championship and he redesigned his swing he's been figuring it out is Justin Rose I like how he's been looking lately okay and then my number one guy um he is finishing a million top tens um top eight in scoring average in the last couple tournaments Webb Simpson Webb Simpson okay so there's your foursome. Yep, Brooks Kepka. Um, I got Patrick Reed. I have what's his face, Justin Rose, and I have Webb Simpson. <laughs> Write those babies down or tweet it out so you don't forget. I will be tweeting them out. I think I'm gonna try and tweet them out every week, even if we don't have a podcast. I mean, it's thirty seconds to send a tweet. I think I can get around to that. I think so. So yeah, that that is my uh, that is my foursome for this week coming up. Obviously, not as exciting as a Masters, the first Masters post COVID, but major. again, I, excuse me, first major. Sorry, the Masters, Masters will is be a major. November, my friend. The Masters is a major, um, but the first major played post COVID. That was a hell of a lot of fun. But let's keep it. Let's keep the ball rolling here at the Wyndham. All right, man. Sounds good. I'm looking forward to hearing how your foursome goes this coming weekend. I had a lot of fun watching the end of this tournament, uh, and I, I really am becoming much more of a of a fan just given who's on this tour, this the various personalities you have to root for, the quality of golf being played. It, it's a lot of fun. Yeah, man, we got to get your ass back out there on the course or uh, out no, there in general. No, out there for really like the first time. I haven't golfed in probably like. I think I told you off the pod, like six, seven, eight years. It's been a minute. So 
Uh, That's all right, man. We'll get you out there. We'll start you off on a cheap, easy course. It's the first timers. I take them to the same course every single time. The Dutcher in Pauling, New York. It's the oldest nine-hole golf course in America. You get a little history there. I know you're a big history guy. So I'll take you out there. It's like a $30 round, not even. We'll grab a cart, have a couple beers. We'll have a good time. I, I don't I don't doubt that at all. Yeah, I did Top Golf last year. That was the first time I swung a golf club in God knows how long. That was a real fun time. So, um, but yeah, getting out on the course sounds fun. I know you'll show me a good time. You can work on your game, so it'll all be good. Um, let's transition over into the world of Major League Baseball, good sir. We'll start with our Yanks. Uh, they're sitting at ten and six. They got an off day today. They finished a two and five road trip, seven games in five days against Philly and Tampa, two tough teams, particularly Tampa and the Trop, where the Yankees never play well. And we might as well start before we get into Stanton and all that nonsense. The starting pitching the first part of this road trip was absolutely atrocious. Jay Happ is almost unpitchable. The Yankees are going to skip his start, given their off day today and Thursday. They're going to go Monty and Tanaka against Atlanta. Monty didn't pitch well there kind of running on fumes here with the exception of Garrett Cole you don't feel great about any guy taking the hill right no not at all and and Cole even kind of struggled his way through that last start in the seven inning game as well he did he threw 110 pitches I mean he struck out 10 and yeah he was getting his shit ton of but you know it was a misses, lot of but... it was a lot of three two counts a lot of grinding it, it is. And, and, you know, David Cohn on the telecast made a really good point of saying, you know, sometimes when your stuff is so good, it's hard to, to get quick outs because you guys, got guys swinging and missing. balls off. Right. So it's a lot of it's a lot of foul tips. It's a lot of foul balls. It's not a lot of, you know, quick ground outs like we see from guys like Tanaka. Um but what are your concerns about this rotation? I know Paxson threw the ball very well yesterday before that seventh inning. But I still don't take that much away from him. I thought he threw the ball much better. But what are your takeaways from this rotation so far two weeks in? Still concerned about Paxton. Velo is a huge thing for me. The guy averaged, what, the third highest fastball for a starter? 95.7 last year. Yeah. I mean, he was pumping 98, even touching 100 at times. What's he averaging this year, 92? It was 91.7 before he was constantly throwing 93, 94 yesterday. So you hope that I'm he's hoping he's building himself it. up. I get it. There was no spring training. Maybe he's one of those guys that works his way up, right? Um, yep. He seemed to be able, as long as this is not a, a physical issue and it's just somewhat of a mechanical and a, uh, and, a, and a building your arm up issue, he's been able to stay healthy. Yeah, I think, you know, yesterday was a good sign given the amounts of swings and misses he got. I mean, he struck out 11 through 6 and a third. I understand the home runs he gave up. Those you got, you don't want to leave that that situation where that start feels less. But, you know, you do have to take some positives away from it. And I thought there were a lot more positives from yesterday's performance that resulted in a loss than the two before, especially the one last Saturday, which resulted in a, or Sunday rather, that resulted in the Yankee win. All right. I know we're going to talk about this. Everyone's ragging on us as Yankee fans. You're going to have your say. I'll give mine. You go first. Giancarlo Stanton hurt again. Uh, tweaked his hamstring, strained his hamstring. He's going to be at least on the 10-day IL. Clint Frazier coming up. Just here we go again, right? 
happy to see Clint up, not not under these circumstances. And um, my my significant other, who is a huge Yankees fan, I just looked at her and said, "Stands out." Guess what happened to him? Immediately, she said, "Hamstring." I mean, yeah. it, it it's really not that hard to guess at this point. It's no, every I mean, year. I mean, the guy dropped what looks like twenty pounds, and he's still out there getting tight, tightening himself up. And it's not like he really exerted that much energy. He was run, He was go, going into second base. I don't know what what this whole thing is, and you know, I've defended. I know him. they they fired their entire medical staff. They got a whole new team in there. And I get it. Soft tissue injuries are a little bit more difficult. But, you know, isn't this what the medical staff is for to prevent soft tissue injuries? Because you're not going to be able to prevent a broken bone. Because if that happens, you're either getting hit by a pitch, running into a guy, or you break your wrist. You know, like that usually happens in a con- with contact, not these right. soft tissue non-contact injuries as they would call them in football. No, you're 100% right. And, and, you know, I, I've gone on the record defending him, not for being, you know, anything other than frustrating. You know, it, it's and frustrating. That's I, would having, him, I, I would put him as that this year because he was fucking flat-out raking. He hit a absolute bomb in the first game of the doubleheader. Every at-bat he's had this year has looked good. He's taking pitches that he's when he's going bad swings at. He's working the count. He's making the pitcher work. He's hitting line drives. Taking his walks. Bombs. He's had an awesome year, and he looks great. He definitely looks lighter and leaner. He definitely looks more mobile. And that's what makes this thing so frustrating. And I'll say this. You know, we talk about this sport in a 60-game sprint with a, you know, two-week tune-up to get into the swing of things. There are going to be injuries that you don't see that often. The problem is we've seen this too often in his Yankee career, and they have seven more years of this. Either him, the medical staff, the the organization as a whole, they've got to figure out a way to get his shit together and to play because it's incredibly frustrating. I heard somebody say this is Ellsbury 2.0. That's bullshit. Ellsbury didn't perform, and he was hurt. At least Stanton makes this team really fucking good when he's on the field but they got to figure out a way to keep him healthy you can't have this guy constantly in and out of the lineup and not be able to look at areas of depth to possibly trade an upgrade knowing he's going to miss a significant chunk of the season yeah and you know i think i've already solved this problem if they would just listen to our podcast sean what have i been pounding the table for them to do yoga yoga hot yoga cold yoga goat yoga nude yoga i don't care he likes being naked on the cover of magazines do some naked yoga (laughs) listen man i'm up for anything it's just disappointing and don't get me wrong this team's still great and I do believe that, and I'm sure you do too, he's going to have a huge impact on what the Yankees do this year. Well, listen, I'm, all I'm going to say easy... is this. That hamstring, yep. that hamstring is not a 10-day injury. I don't know to what severity the, the strain was. I mean, they'll probably, if they win a lot like they did last year, they'll keep his ass on the shelf and make sure he's good for the postseason. Well, the other problem is, what happens when they keep his ass on the shelf is his swing gets cold and then he starts flailing and whatever. I mean, it's just a domino effect when it comes to him. Yeah, it, it can happen. I mean, he had a pretty good postseason last year after not playing really I'm just at waiting, all before he got hurt again. I'm so. just waiting for 
judge to get injured now. Dare I say I, it. Thank you. I, I'm right there with you, man. I was kind of thinking the same thing. I'm like, here we go again. But that's why you don't trade from areas of depth. And I've been trying to tell some of my friends, I'm sure you have too, the whole time. You know, you speculate about this Yankee roster and how certain guys are going to get at bats. You don't worry about that because something's going to happen. We saw it last year. We've seen it too many times, especially now in COVID times where somebody could come down with it. You don't take any chances and you don't trade guys for no reason. It's great that they have a Clint Frazier who can come up and play. It's great you have a Mike Talkman who can get significant minutes or uh, games, you know? Absolutely, man. I think that uh, Talkman's here to stay. I think they should trade Frazier. And I honestly, why did they bring up Frazier over Andahar? Did he just look that lost? <sighs> The thing is, is I think you can ask the other question. Why was Andahar on the team over Frazier? Because Frazier's at least a natural outfielder. He's not a great one, but Andujar never even played the outfield before. So the Yankees literally chose a guy to play who was a, a novice in the outfield over a guy who's a career outfielder. Yeah, which well, is sometimes... really a slap in the face of Frazier. So now I'm glad Frazier's up over Andujar because our boy Urshela, the guy's been raking. Yeah, I mean, there's there's probably three and a half guys carrying this team. Judge, Urshela, LeMahieu, and then you sprinkle in Talkman when he plays, and that's it. Everybody else feels like they're hitting below the Mendoza line. So let's talk about guys such as Torres and Sanchez. I know Will has been. I just want to get this out of the way. I, I hope Will listens to this podcast because I shit talked him on the last few. Now, you mentioned this to me. Everybody's shitting on Sanchez. I got to give Will a little credit here. He said this way well before the season started, and he said this last year. So it's not like he's just coming in and shitting on Gary when he's 3 for 39. He's been saying nope. this for a long time. So I'm going to let Will have his fun in the sun. You were right this year. I would still not trade Gary Sanchez for Wilson Contreras. And I would not sit Gary Sanchez because you got to get him hitting. But he has been an absolute automatic, everybody move in in Little League, out. He's been awful. And Will was absolutely, absolutely right. I, I'm, gonna, I'm, I'm an honorable guy. I will say when I was wrong, and I was wrong about this year at least. I mean, listen, if you're going to try to prop up the stats so far 16 games in and say that Will's wrong, I mean, you don't. You're just in denial. No, he's been absolutely atrocious. He, he's been an automatic out, as you said. He, he doesn't move runners over. He's lost at the plate the entire time. But, you know, the hard part is, is this season, and I said this to you before we got started on this podcast, for both guys' success and their failures, I don't know what to take into this season. This is unlike any other season we've ever seen. You know, usually 16 games in, it's early. It's late March, early April. You're seeing how guys adjust to, to pitching, to the cooler weather, to really getting their feet underneath them, getting ready for a marathon season. You don't have that this year. So everything's magnified. I mean, I've heard people talking about how Cole's underperformed. Motherfucker, he started four games. He's had a chance to win every single one. Like, He's not going to throw zeros every time. If this was four starts into mid-April, no one would give a shit. But it's the fact it's four season, four starts into mid-August. Yeah, it's a he's big probably deal. only going to get 13, 14. I think 12, 13 is the max. And then, you know, you're looking at a guy like Christian Yelich. 
guy can't buy a hit this year. He's been awful. This is a although he did put one off the scoreboard. No, don't get me wrong. He's ago. had his he's had his moments, but his overall numbers are not good. Glaber Torres, who I picked to win MVP and had a monster year last year, is almost as cold as Gary. Well, I mean, this is just a weird year. At least he's playing. My MVP pick is he's on the shelf as a pitcher, and he hasn't been playing as a hitter. I know, I know. Yeah, well, Tony's Tony's been in a rough spot, man. I, I don't think the Angels regret it because they didn't have to play much for him, but man. That, that's rough. But going back to our Yanks, I'm not worried. They're 10-6, and six, two games up in the division as of this, the recording of this podcast. They got the Braves and Red Sox coming in this week. They're still a great team. They got some things to figure out. But in a 16-team playoff, you know they're in. It's just a matter of positioning. There's some positive signs. But they definitely got to get shit together. And, and the skin injury sucks. Absolutely does. Some of these guys need to get their bats going. Guardy, I need them to sit him down. I, I can't watch him play anymore. <laughs> I know. A lot of people can't, man. It's like, well, he gives you good at-bats. It's like, great, he works a 3-2 count and then strikes out every time. Thanks. You know thanks, what's funny? thanks for making the pitcher work. You know what's funny is he's got three homers and nine RBIs, which is actually pretty fucking good. It's just everything else, and we're just kind of tired of watching. I was going to say, especially when that's pretty good, especially when you're batting 177. I know it, it's wild, but you know what? That one seventy-seven is better than uh, is better than um, Sanchez. Gary's and it's and it's better than Glaber's. So it's it's rough. But and anyway, Glaber looked like he was getting off to a hot start in the early games. He was hitting well. Yeah, that game in, against Corbin, you know, really looked like he was going to be turning the tide, and it it just never it never got rolling for him. But there's still. We're like 23%, 24% of the season over with, man. It's crazy. And at least the Yankees are playing games because the Cardinals aren't. Did Do you, you know see where Gary's that? hitting right now? I th- he's definitely below 100. He's batting 103. Like, oh, is he really? He got up to 103 yesterday. He got the hit yesterday. It's funny how much a hit does for you when your average is that low, isn't it? Ugh. Well, at least the Yankees are playing because the Cardinals aren't. Um, what do you make of this whole thing, man? They're they're hoping to play Friday. Their 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 uh, week's schedule against Detroit was canceled. They're going to go about two weeks without playing. How in the fuck do you even factor in their win loss record? Because they're not coming anywhere close to sixty games. I don't know. I mean, I really don't feel that bad if they don't make the playoffs because. I mean, rumor has it that they were out at bars and casinos and whatnot, so I don't think they should be a factor at all. I think they should have to finish out the season, but maybe you just say, hey, you know, you did it to yourself. You're not making the playoffs this year. I love that thought, and that's what I think Manfred's going to lean towards because he has so much riding on this season, and it would be so nice to see him throw his iron fist for once at a team because if it's self-inflicted and it's not because the protocols are loose or, or, or kind of shaky, it's because players, we saw two players with the Indians, two of their prominent starting pitchers, Playsack and Clevenger, get sent home because they violated team rules by leaving the, the hotel. If players are self-inflicting this and they're causing their team not to be able to play for a while, there's no reason that they that the commissioner or players union should throw any pity on them. Absolutely, man. And I'm ever since COVID hit and they had the whole dispute about you know whether or not they're going to play, and then it became a owners versus players thing, players union thing. I've shit on the MLB. 
This time I'm not going to because there's no reason to. It's not like the Cardinals could plead, you know, um, not innocence, but um, ignorance here, excuse me. It's not like they could say they didn't know any better. They've been warned. They know it. You see other sports, whether it be the PGA and how strict their testing and their bubble is, how strict the NBA's bubble has been, soccer, all that stuff. Clearly, other other sports and other teams are taking it a lot more seriously. And if you guys aren't, then you know what? You guys have to take it seriously from here on out, or else we, they should start taking money out of these guys' pockets. And guess what? You miss the playoffs for being a bunch of assholes. Couldn't agree with you more. I love the sentiment. I think they should do kind of what the MLS did, and they kicked a couple of teams out of their bubble and their playoff and said, hey, you weren't responsible enough. We're That's fine, too. You. you know what? They've already missed probably, what, 10 games? Oh, my God, dude. By the time this is over, I think they're going to miss about 12 or 13. Kick them out. That's fine. I, I think so. And See it was you later. Great I message. mean, whatever. Yeah, it would send a great message to everybody else because you know what? Every Friday when the league sends in their their testing results, everybody else is fine. They're not doing shit. There's now these basically babysitters. I forget what they're called, but they're basically babysitters slash enforcers. That's what they're called. At the hotels to make sure that these guys aren't going out. But the but most teams, I mean, there was a prominent player who reported to, I believe it was Jeff Passan, who said that if he was, if he knows of a player on his team that breaks the rules and fucks things up, that he would get them traded. And according to Passan, this player has the ability to do that. And I guarantee you that that was Bryce Harper or there was somebody else like that making a huge amount of money who has his eyes on a championship. And there's a lot of teams that feel that way. And I really, truly believe that baseball is going to just look at certain teams and say, you know what? It's not our fucking fault. We've buttoned up. All our other teams are doing well. You're choosing not to. That's your own irresponsibility. And sorry, you don't get a you don't get a reward for being a little cost for being a little passive here. You know what I'm saying? Absolutely, man. I, Marlins, see you later. And, and as well as the Cardinals, but they're winning now. And That's the, the crazy thing. The Marlins was, I, I, what do you think, a little less atrocious? I don't know what went on there. I mean, they didn't miss two weeks. They missed, I think, six or seven games. I mean, you can make that shit up. It's hard to, but you can. The Cardinals are going to go, like I said, 12 or 13 games. I, you can't make that shit up. Yeah, and it, it hurts other teams, too, because think about the teams that they were supposed to be playing. So what do you do there, in your opinion? Do you just give the other teams an automatic win, or do you just not even put that in their record so they can go based off of the percentage? I mean, it depends. If you're go- uh, Either way, if you're going based off win percentage, then it's a null. So if you're going based off win percentage, I would just go with that because I don't think any of these teams are going to get to a square 60, right? Or they're going to try. if they're going to try for that, yeah, forfeit, win. I think a forfeit win is fine. And not to mention, on top of that, I don't know the draft ramifications, but if the Cardinals have to forfeit all those games, I I think they should lose their first-round draft pick as well. I'm totally with you. I'm so happy you said that. And and going back to your last point, a forfeit win is fine. I think they're just going to go draw, but everybody will know, including baseball, when they're doing their playoffs, that they were draws because they were just the – kind of the bystander and the unfortunate casualty in not being able to play games because the team they were supposed to 
like a Cardinals or the Marlins weren't able to play. And I think you just go from there with those guys. I, I think it's an easy way to figure it out. Listen, Manfred, this is the time for you to grow some balls. You're not going to do it with the Astros, as we're going to talk about in a second. So do it here, because this is your season that you don't want to lose. There's a lot on the line. And to me, man, I, I'm sure you'll agree, the overall quality of baseball has been pretty fucking good. It's been fun. Absolutely. Given all the circumstances, I'm really enjoying these games. I can't sit and watch a full Yankees game. Sometimes i got to flip channels just because... I can't watch these guys just get themselves out every single time for a majority of the lineup, but all around the league, I'm loving it. It's been a lot of fun. And, you know, we're, again, it's like, it shows how crazy baseball is and what a 162 scale does. Because a week ago, we were talking about how they couldn't lose. And then they go two and five on a road trip that included two double headers. And it's like, oh, this team's got so many problems. You know, like, it's so cyclical. And that's what really is the beauty of a, of a true marathon season, which we don't have this year. So we're going to see what they can do heading forward this week. But what did you take out of that Astros A's, uh, that brawl yesterday? Cause I got some thoughts on it, but I want to hear your takes on it first. Are you talking about the Loriano one? Oh yeah. Well, first off, I think the hitting coach or whatever that was from the Astros should be thrown off the team. Absolute scum, right? I mean, you're challenging a player to fight him. It's one It's one thing if players want to fight. It's one thing if managers want to fight and then there's a scrum. But, I mean, for you to challenge a player, especially given the times and all that shit, when you have no skin in the game, you're, even, you're probably barely involved on this team. Get the fuck out of here. I think he should be banned from the sport for at least a year. That's one. I know that's a little overdramatic, but he's an asshole. And it's COVID, so stop being an asshole. I don't think it is because it's, again, something to send a goddamn message. Because the thing is, is the Astros pitchers kept hitting A's hitters. And I'm going to just fucking throw it out there right now. They're pissed because they're the team that Mike Fires pitches for who blew the whistle on this entire goddamn thing. And they don't like them, and they're pissed, and they're taking matters into their own hand because they saw from the Joe Kelly incident that the MLB office will absolutely unilaterally stand by them and protect them. So what do they have to worry about? So you hit four hitters in a game, and then you've got a guy charge the, the dugout? They figure it's fine. Absolutely. And I don't know if we've been on the pod since the Joe Kelly thing happened, but that's absolute bullshit. Eight games for that? Come on. And, and I thought it was hilarious, and I got to say, I mean, I would have done the same exact thing. I probably have done the same exact thing. <laughs> you definitely have. Listen, I... And then I, the, the think, other thing that I found funny was, I mean, Loriano got hit on a couple pitches that weren't intentional. And no. the last one, when he was walking to the... When he was walking to first base, he was trying to teach the pitcher how to throw a proper slider because it wasn't breaking. Right, but that's still frustrating, like, and especially when it's been happening the entire weekend series, you know? But, like, what but I was he was say, calm. Like, Going to first base, he was just fucking with the guy saying, obviously the guy is already rattled because he can't throw a pitch over the plate, saying, oh, you got to flick your wrist to throw the slider. And then the first base coach comes out of nowhere and gets him hot. No, he, he, he's absolutely egging him on and looking to start something, which he shouldn't do in 2020 baseball. And baseball fights are bullshit anyways because that first base 
or whatever he was, that hitting coach, whatever he may be, knows for a fact that he's not even getting within 10 players of Loriano because they're all going to get in between him. And then Loriano gets tackled by four guys, could tear an ACL, could break an arm, could do any of this, all because of this asshole coach that what knew for a fact they were not going to throw hands. And I was going to say before, you know, if anybody didn't think that players were going to take matters into their own hands at some point this year, you're absolutely ignorant. And if you're in the commissioner's office or in Major League Baseball or even in the players' office, players' union office, Tony Clark, I'm talking to you, you you have to have better systems in place because I don't give a fuck. And listen, I do understand that Manfred had to get had to grant the the players on the Astros immunity to get all the information that he needed in order to stop this growing rampant throughout the sport for the next, you know, five, six, seven years. I understand and get that. And I'm not even mad at that. It's frustrating as a fan, especially of a team that lost and I get it. Okay, fine. But you know what? You had a chance to strip the trophy. You had a chance to take down their banners and make them return their rings and their MVPs and all that bullshit. And you chose not to. So you know what? Players who were on opposing teams that got fucked and and players on teams that thought that they had a legitimate chance to win that was taken away by playing in Houston, they are not satisfied with the owner getting a slap on the wrist, a GM getting fired that he probably was going to anyway because he had people weren't working underneath him who were misogynists and not managers who really don't matter that much in today's baseball anyway, getting fired to probably get rehired in another two years once his suspension is up. I'm sorry. That's not how it works. So if you don't think that this shit's going to be going on and that players aren't going to take matters into their own hands and now you're going to go out of your way to protect the Astros who were the culprit in all of this, that's fucking weak. That's absolutely weak. And that's a that's an absolute indictment on Manfred, and that's an indictment on basically everybody in charge of this whole thing. Baseball's always been a sport that's allowed players to police themselves and the integrity of the game. Why are you letting loose here? Sorry for the rant, but it drove me nuts. Couldn't agree with you more, man. Um, well said. The only thing I have to add to that is I, I wish there was a player crazy enough a la Pedro Martinez that would actually go at I wish Luriano fucking knocked that guy out cold. I get it. He's probably suspended for the rest of the season, but it would have really made coaches think twice about fucking with these players. I mean, listen, Pedro threw Don Zimmer to the ground. The guy was 78 years old or whatever he was. Not a good look. I'll say that. Um, but, I mean, this guy was young. He looked like he was ready to go. I would have said, fuck it. I'm going to knock you out cold. And I think, again, it was just another representation of an Astros personnel or player that knows that he has the backing of the league office for no real reason and kind of feels like he has a force field around him and knowing that he can do whatever he wants because the opposition will feel the penalty, not them. Yeah, it's like one of those things... um... In uh, basically when you're fighting in, in the NFL where it's like it's never the first guy that gets caught in the fight. It's always yeah, the right. It's always the second, right? Yeah. Mm-hmm. It's, it's absolute no, bullshit. Point. And I mean, listen, it's too late now 
I mean, you can't you can't turn around and say, all right, I changed my mind. I'm suspending so and so. They granted them immunity. I, you can't strip the championship now. But at the very least, you're right. Just let the players do what they're gonna do. And you know what? If you did let the players do what they were going to do, I bet you this would be over in a month as opposed to going on throughout the whole season with this animosity because they'd they'd move on instead of them being so frustrated because there's really not much they can do about it. Totally agree. It's just an unfortunate situation from how it was handled. And and you know what? I think COVID and all the social injustice kind of put us – not really thinking about this anymore, right? I think we even mentioned well, we it on, our, on our MLB preview that they were going to get a huge advantage by not having fans and well, everybody we forgot, about the bigger picture things. We forgot, the fans forgot, the public forgot, but the players did not forget, clearly. Exactly. And I think that's the biggest thing is players are still red hot. I think the simplest situation would have been is, okay, I think even the players who are the most pissed understand being under the umbrella of a union that you can't suspend, fine. No, I agree with you. You can't suspend or fine them, but for a hundred and billion years, however long baseball has been around, you've been able to police the game yourself. I think the unwritten rules are stupid and bullshit and whatever, but they do still exist, and they're taking that away from them. They're taking away them away from them, and I think another huge deal is too. it was such a simple solution. I think everybody would have understood it and been cool with it. And you know what? That also, as we talked about back in January, which feels like four years ago, it would have preserved the integrity of the game because it would have been a penalty so significant that definitely would have diminished any other team's chances of trying to replicate this, right? But now, if their biggest thing is possibly losing a lame duck manager or GM or something like that, and maybe having a couple players thrown at, it's not gonna, it's not gonna take away the chance of them maybe going for it to win a World Series. That's not gonna be stripped away. Yeah, absolutely. I think, I mean, they figured it out with steroids. I mean, you look at Melky Cabrera, Manny Ramirez, where. After they caught the initial bunch, now you're basically fucked if you get caught taking steroids. If a team ever cheats again, I hope they're that that stringent on them. Yeah, I think the unfortunately the precedent has already been set, and if Manfred's still the commissioner, he showed that he's going after the organization. He's not going after the players. And let's just be frank: as much as we love to shoot on Manfred, he really can't do anything else because the players' union it's really fucking strong. Yeah, well, it sucks, but hopefully they keep throwing at the Astros. They can't suspend everybody. They can't suspend everybody, and you know what? There's a 60-player taxi burning a guy just to throw at them and then send it back down, right? That would be classic. I'd love it. I, I hope a team does that, especially one that's out of it. Um, all good on baseball there, man. Anything else you want to touch on before we go into some NBA bubble deal? No, man, let's get on to the NBA. Uh, We mentioned it earlier at the top of the pod. uh, LeBron's being a big, fat baby, but we can can move just past that. You want to jump in with the Lakers and then work our way around? I would. Let's start with the Western Conference. So, I don't know about you. I have some significant worries about the Lakers because I think the losing Avery Bradley – I don't know how much about Rondo. I know he has his great moments and he has some really bad moments. 
But I think Avery Bradley brought a lot of guile and some defensive toughness to that team, not to mention a guy who can hit some threes. Him not being there really shows because I don't know what their closing lineup is, but they haven't looked great. No, they cannot guard guards, period. Um, I mean, LeBron's not going to take – I mean, maybe 2009 LeBron would take on the best team's point guard. You saw him doing that against Derrick Rose and whatnot, but he's not doing that in year 17 of his career. They cannot guard – Point guards, two guards, and some quick small forwards either. I mean, Davis is great. He's been hot and cold during this bubble, but I'm sure he'll show up in the playoffs. Same thing with LeBron, but from a defensive standpoint, they can't guard anybody in on the outside, and they can't shoot at all. They've had some incredibly icy cold stretches, and they haven't looked good against some teams that they're going to have to go up against. And I don't know what to think about this bubble. Maybe you have a clearer picture in your mind about how you're interpreting some of these games. But to me, I don't know who's just trying to figure their shit out. I don't know who's just trying to get more conditioned. I don't know who's rusty. I don't know who's just posting. I don't know who's really struggling and the serious question marks need to go up or, or, or warning signals. I don't know what to think. All I know is this team, to me, doesn't look like a a representation of the Western Conference in the final. Look, would I be shocked if they were world beaters again when you flip the playoff switch on and playoff LeBron goes into dark mode or whatever you want to call it on social media? No, but right now I think this team looks like a team that is trying to figure it out and has not even come close. Yeah, anytime Quinn Cook has to come off and and kind of be a savior you know, late in a game, that's not a very reassuring thing if I'm a fan of the purple and gold. Nah, Quinn Cook is a fun third guard, not your backup or your starting guard. And Alex Caruso is a fun guy off the bench. He shouldn't be playing 35 minutes. They're in real trouble. But you know what? I I don't feel bad because, you know, our guy, the podfather himself, Bill Simmons, said it on the podcast. This is basically the tax you pay for going out and getting an Anthony Davis. This is the team that you wanted, LeBron. Now go out and win. Yeah, I mean, listen, you can second-guess things all you want. The thing is is that a team with a, a peak LeBron and a peak AD have a chance to win everything, right? But Dwight's never been somebody who's been counted on by a team. You, you've got a bunch of supporting cast guys like a Danny Green, who I get has won two titles, one with the Spurs and last year with the Raptors. But you've got a KCP, you've got a Markeith Morris, You've got I mean, listen, Caruso. bro. In my opinion, there's just a lot of guys who I don't feel great about. In my opinion, those are all fun players, but those players would be good if they were playing about eight to ten minutes less because there was better guys in front of them. Sure. And that's just not the case. I mean, when your third best player is a mixture of Dion Waiters and Danny Green, I'm you're you're not looking great. You're not looking great. And, and again, like you said, would you be shocked if they went on a run? No. You've got two top ten players in the league right now, right? So that's obviously going to give you an advantage. But you can't feel great about where this team is right now. I'm watching them right now. They're trailing to Denver by two with eight minutes left in the fourth quarter. LeBron just threw an offensive foul. And he's clearly trying to figure out who to work in as his next dependable guy uh outside of ad it's not an easy task for him and i don't think he had this envisioned when he came to la or when he brought in ad that he was going to have to basically figure out the way he did when he was a cavalier minus Kyrie. 
Not at all, man. And here's my thing with the Lakers. We talk about shooting. There's going to be not those threes that they're taking and missing are not contested. They're missing a lot of wide open threes. And there's going to be a few games in the playoffs. I don't care if they make it to the Western Conference Finals or not, where they just get blown off the floor because they shoot, you know, six for 40 on three pointers. Oh, totally. They are absolutely capable of having a game where they go ice cold and that there's nobody who can save them because as hot as Danny Green can get. And I think of him more as a, a big moment three point shooter, more so of a big volume three point shooter. They don't have another guy where they can go to who can give you a boost. Right. I, I Deion waiters. I'm sorry. Can't do it. J.R. Smith. I know they're hoping for it. And I can't see it at this point. Not at all. Their best three-point shooter is KCP, percentage-wise. Yeah, that's not good. <laughs> not not at all. And you're laughing because they could have had Melo, who's had some moments. They could have had Kyle Korver. They could have had a bunch of guys. But they didn't. They went into the bubble happy with this team. And to be honest, they look like hot garbage a lot of these games. Yeah, they have. <laughs> I, but again, I'm you laughing. know what? They still clinched the one seed. Of course. But you know what? They just had to win a few games down here in Orlando, and they did. So I, I can't, yeah, I can't get mad at that. I was just laughing at a kind of a nervous laugh because all I can think about is them giving the bag to Joe Harris in the in, in the off season because I can't think of a more perfect player for them than Joe Harris. Oh, it's coming. He's yeah. not going to be oh, on the next. Dude, he's going to literally get a huge offer from everybody. Yep. No, he's not going to be on the Nets. I hate to tell you. I don't think so. I, I, it's going to be it's going to be tough. But anyway, what else out of the Western Conference has intrigued you as we head into the final stretch of this eight game playing season? I love the Portland Trailblazers. I know you know that I'm a Dame fan, and I oh, just I love I love the little. I mean, obviously we picked the Clippers to win the finals, but I love the little rivalry that he had between. I mean, Patrick Beverly, who's a nobody to Dame and Paul George. I mean, I thought it was hilarious. And again, Dame said something that if given the circumstances and the way he played, I would have said the same thing. I sent you fuckers home in the playoffs before I might do it again. There is nobody who wants to play the Portland Trailblazers. Not with Nurkic back and, and Mello looking like he does and Gary Trent playing like a third-team All-NBA-er, C.J. McCollum doing what he does, and then Dame being probably, I mean, who's, who's the bubble MVP, Dame, T.J. Warren, or Devin Booker? Oh, that's tough. I might have to go with Booker just because Phoenix hasn't lost. Yeah, that's a good point, but I, I think Dame looks... But Warren has given them a run for their money, and obviously Dame, Dame just puts that team on his shoulders. Yeah, I, I really like this Portland team, and I'll tell you what, if they sneak in at that eight seed, because they're probably going to have a playoff with um, the Phoenix Suns to get that that final um, that final seed. I'm putting all my money on, on Portland in that game, by the way. Um, the Lakers are probably going to be taking a seven. Yeah, I, I think so. I, I I mean, you look at it, and it's just an absolute matchup nightmare. Portland has a lot of big men to throw at Davis and Fallon between Collins, obviously the corpse of Hassan Whiteside, and then you have Nurkic, who's your impact center. And then what did I just say the Lakers cannot do for the life of them? Is play guards. And Portland's got four guards that they can throw to you, throw at you and I the only guy I didn't mention was Anthony Simmons and he can fill it up too. 
You know, the hard part about this whole thing is, from a more overall standpoint and trying to look at the bubble the way it's been, I think you can kind of just throw every conventional wisdom thought of how we evaluate matchups out the window. Because no team has been put in this situation before. No team is prepared for this. And you're going to see, I think you and I called it when this happened, and I know the podfather Bill Simmons called it himself, and a lot of other people did too. You're going to see some wacky, crazy shit go down in this bubble in the postseason. And if Portland's playing the way they are, and they have Dame, who is as hot as anybody in the world right now, I think and honestly, they, draw right, bro, LA, to, they not, could win that series. Not to cut you off right there, but I think it's honestly disrespectful to call Dame just hot right now. He's like a top five player in the league, in my opinion. I'm not saying that he's gotten hot and like I always, he's a role player, but I he's always as hot laugh. as anybody ever is right now. Oh, you're absolutely right about that. I, I always That's laugh what at the, I meant. I always laugh at the little rivalry between him and Westbrook because it's like, listen, Westbrook is an all-time athlete, but give me Dame over Westbrook any day of the week. And Westbrook but that's thinks, not even a conversation. Westbrook thinks he's so much better than him, and Dame just like laughs because it's like, get the fuck out of here. But that's not a conversation from anybody who I'm talking, knows the league. I'm talking directly to Russell here. I'm speaking between him and I. Okay. Russell, <laughs> friend of the pod, always welcome on. Um, Dame's better than you. And he he sent you home last year, sweetie. I just want to, like, you know, it, it, it's such an annoying thing to me when people think that that's even a conversation. But it people do. But, the, but people are idiots. Westbrook's played very well. I should just cut that up and make it the beginning of the pod. Not even, a, not even a song anymore. Just people are idiots, and then lead right into. That's another good name for our pod. If sorry to interrupt, I, I don't mind so good. it. I don't <laughs> mind it. And in 2020, I'm more than here for it. Listen, spinoff golf Westbrook, pod. People are idiots is what it'll be called. I think Westbrook has done awesome things post All Star break for that Houston team, and he's played really well in Orlando. I gotta give him credit. But to anybody who thinks that it's even a conversation between him and Dame, just don't know what you're talking about or you're so pigeonholed into old opinions that you're not allowed to break out of them because you've been on the record for too long and been wrong for too long. It's insane to me. I'm sorry. Like, it's insane to me how that's even a debate. Yeah, absolutely. I couldn't agree with you more. You want to talk about the Phoenix Suns? Oh, absolutely. Start us off. I think an important thing about the bubble, because it's basically an even playing field, is there's no home court advantage, any of that shit. I think that the most important thing is every game you got to play, like a playoff game, and who wants it more? And nobody's wanted it more or played harder than the Phoenix Suns. So what's brought them together? I mean, Aiton said that he studied a lot of tape and took this four-month quarantine about as seriously as he's ever taken the game of basketball. Well, it looks like it. playing like an all-out stud. So what's brought this team together to you? I just think that Booker knew that he had to shine right now because if not, it was going to be a hell of a long – well, not really because it was, they were going to start up in Christmas, but the offseason was going to feel really long for him. Um, I mean, egg on their face because they gave away T.J. Warren for cast considerations, but we won't get oh, that into that. <laughs> um, but with that being said, I just think that this team is 
they have the talent. They have the talent. I mean, Cam Johnson, not a, nobody liked that pick when it happened, but he's knocking down threes. You got Dario Saric playing like he did early on in Philly. Aiton is playing like, I mean, he looks like fucking Shaq mixed with Hakeem out there with a little bit of shooting touch as well. And then Booker, I mean, this guy, finally he's being able to f- been able to figure out not only how to put the ball in the basket whenever he wants, but to win those games as well. He's really embraced being and Rubio's huge the guy, guy, right? Rubio is huge. I mean, and let's not forget. I know it feels like you know eons ago, but they did get off to a pretty hot start to start this season. I mean, I think they, they were well, eight Aiden, and three at one point. Aiton was also suspended for some type of PED. I don't know exactly what it was. And then when he came back, they had to figure a few things out. But right before they went into the bubble, they were playing well. So I think that they are just expanding upon that. And they have a good little base down there. I'm not saying they're going to go out and win. You know, this isn't a Clay Thompson, Draymond Green, Steph Curry thing. But they're, they're going to make some noise in the playoffs in the future years to come. I believe so. They, they've at least proven that they have arrived to some capacity, right? And, and maybe to fit in as a bottom seed in, the, in a loaded Western Conference, which is not a knock, by the way. Booker's a stud. Aiton's turned into the real deal, who hopefully will only get better from this, barring injury or any kind of setback. And there's a nice supporting cast there, too. I I do like this team. I like the way they've been playing. What do you take away from teams like Denver and Utah? I mean, they're both going to make the playoffs, right? Yeah. Oh, no, they're solidified. I mean, Denver's going to be right around that three seed. I think they're going to be fine. I just, I mean, I'm not really confident. You say it all the time, and I'm really starting to become a believer in it too, that you can't really have your best player in this era being a center, although Jokic is one of the most unique players of of all time. I just don't think they have enough scoring. Jamal Murray has an on-off switch that sometimes is a little sticky. Um and it gets stuck on off. So I don't really see them getting past the second round. And then the Jazz, I just don't think they have enough. I'm going to agree more with you on Utah. And I still think they're, even though they both Well, they're also missing um, Bagnana, one of the bon, bon, Bogdanovich, one of the bon, yeah, Bongos, whatever. Yeah, on Bogdanovich. Yeah, he, he's out. Um, I will say that Conley Jr. has been playing pretty well since they've gone down to Orlando. But I, I agree with you, and I know they both put on a happy face, but I do believe that relationship between Gobert and Mitchell has kind of been fractured, and something's going to happen. But I'm going to push back with you a little bit on Denver, simply because, and I do agree with your overall premise, however, they have found, at least in their six, seven games they played down in Orlando, they found Bull Bull and they found Michael Porter Jr. And goddamn, have both of them given them two incredibly different, diverse, and versatile options. Yeah, um, I mean, it's just depressing as a Knicks fan because the Knicks could have had Porter Jr. as opposed but to Kevin no, Knox. But no, see, I'm gonna, I'm gonna again. I, I don't think that's fair to do to the Knicks. He was picked 14th. And that was a perfect pick for a team that was in the back end of a lottery. Like that's I think not it is fair because he was the number two high school recruit behind Marvin Bagley. But he had a huge back injury that you don't risk at eight. 
I don't know. Kevin Knox is nothing, bro. I hate to if say he was it. A, I'm if a believer. he was a dick, he wouldn't have worked out. Yeah, you're probably right about that. <laughs> Before we move on, though, let's why don't we do a little bit of NBA throwbacks here? Let's talk about some players that are that we've forgotten about just because they're not in the bubble. Okay. Zach Levine. Okay. Carl Anthony Towns. Mm-hmm. Can you name a few more? I'm getting stuck here. Well, Levine has trade rumors written all over him between both of our teams. Cat uh, obviously lost his mom to COVID, and we feel terrible about him, but I don't know what his future holds. He's got D'Lo now. I, I don't know what some of these guys – oh, man, I, it's so hard. I'm trying to think of who else. I mean, honestly, I've seen your boy Mitchell Robinson put up tape after tape of him doing some crossovers and pulling up from three, too. And by the way, he's going to set the – he almost set the record – for all time, actually, he might have all time field goal percentage in the season at like 72%. Wow, good for him. And he's working on his fucking crossover. <laughs> um, I mean, obviously, if we're going to talk superstars, you know, like Durant, Kyrie. Yeah, but they're, know, they're technically in the bubble. Uh, technically, I mean, they're not playing. Uh, teams out of it, you brought up Cat and Levine. Uh,. Who else is there? You got the Bulls. You got New Orleans. Yeah. But who are we going to talk about but there? New Orleans, Not New Orleans was in the bubble. Excuse me, Charlotte. Yeah, what's there to talk about with Charlotte? Devontae Graham. Great. Sure. But what are we talking about? What's your conversation? Why are we bringing these guys up? I just wanted to, you know, refresh people's memory that there is other teams. There are other teams, but they're not relevant for a reason. Trey Young. Trey Young. Yeah, Trey Young. Again, like we got to see. You put John Collins in that list too for Atlanta. I don't know. I I think a lot of these guys. Kevin Love. Are we still talking Kevin Love? Uh, I'm just rattling off guys that are outside of the bubble here. Okay. Because like, I feel why? like everybody's forgotten about the rest of the teams in the league, and I just wanted to let people know that there's some other teams out there. <laughs> There's some other teams, but nobody gives a shit, dude. They were so bad they couldn't even get invited down to this thing. I know, it's tough. I think we've pretty much named everybody. Unless you want to talk Steph and Clay, but that's not fair to them. No, I because guess you can talk Blake Griffin. Sure, but he was hurt most of this year. Like, do you want to talk Andre Drummond for Cleveland? Like, no. No, it's not that's that enough. fun. That's enough. I just kind of wanted to mention Cat. And how how fast <laughs> he's falling. why? Do you think you guys are going for him this offseason or what? No. I mean, maybe. I mean, we've got all the Kentucky guys sitting around. Uh, I, he signed that massive deal. I'd love to see the Knicks go for Chris Paul. Like, that be the one move you make. You can do it without giving up any of your top guys. I would, but I wouldn't mind them trading the farm for Cat either. Oh, but Cat's not a winning player. He's already been on a bad team. Why are you trying to trade the farm, bro? You're trying to build a farm. Yeah, Last but I don't think I don't think we was for Mello. I don't think we have any pieces that are going to do it right now. But Cat hasn't done it either, man. He's been on a bad team for five years, and that team doesn't do shit. You're right. I just want to. And, and let me tell you this: you're not trading for him as long as you got Thibodeau, because Thibodeau and him didn't get along. Very true. That might be better off. 
Yeah, I think it's better off. All right, let's talk Eastern Conference. What stood out to you in the East so far? Milwaukee's had a rough go. I don't know whether it's rustiness, resting guys. They have their full team back. I think they're coasting. They have their full team back. Not too worried about them. Toronto's looked incredible. They stayed undefeated for almost the entire bubble. They got waxed by Boston the other night, though. They got absolutely run off the floor. You have those games. Boston's up and down. Kemba's, Kemba's got that knee issue. Um, and, and then you have Hayward, who hasn't looked the same since he broke his hand. But Brown and especially Tatum are, are awesome. So glad you brought them up. I think they are the two best players in the Eastern Conference in this bubble so far. They've been on. Believable, winning them games. That game against Houston. Minus Giannis, That game against right? Oklahoma City. Yeah, but you know what? You know what Giannis is going to be. He's either winning the MVP or he's finishing second. And I don't think that they're pushing him that much. You know, like, I'm looking at Tatum and Brown. Where I'm like, shit, you guys are taking over meaningful games. Yeah. I mean, the other thing you got to talk about is Philly, right? Great point. So, yeah, break down Philly for us. What are you What are you taking out of the Simmons injury? And what's their what's their peak now? Well, Embiid's also hurt as well. Yeah. Not as significantly as Simmons, but I think, honestly, the Simmons injury may have bought them. They might fire Brett Brown, and honestly, I don't like to call for people's jobs, but they should. But this might have bought them another year of Simmons and Embiid just because they can blame it on, oh, Simmons got hurt, even though they looked completely lost and like they couldn't figure it out. And the Shake Milton exper- experiment, although he's a fun little player, did not uh, did not solve all the world's problems. Is this the most frustrating team to you in the NBA? Oh, without a doubt. I, I think that I, I'm, I'm I think I'm in lockstep with you. I think the Lakers are annoying at times. I think the Rockets are really annoying at times. But this team just drives me absolutely nuts because when they look good, you wonder how anyone can. Yes, but they look good so infrequently. Like the Lakers are the one seed, and the Rockets are. The Rockets are a gimmick team, but they're, they've done it. They're figuring it out. This team, it's like you're just sitting there staring at the TV waiting. Yeah. No, this team sucks. They need to rebuild it. They need a better coach in there. I think they should have hired Thibodeau, but, I mean, they didn't have the opportunity thanks to my Knicks. I think an interesting point that you brought up was, well, if Simmons is hurt, and let's say this Embiid injury carries over into the postseason – that Brett Brown is fired, I actually would push back on that. I think that gives him yet another reason to stay retained because he didn't have his full arsenal. Listen, I'm not agreeing with it. No, I know I'm you're just... not, but I, and I, I, I could see that happening too. I agree with your point. I right? just my mindset and yours as well is just another year. I, I it's what have we believe... seen over the past? What has he been coaching them for four years? It's been a while. What has told us since they've become good outside of the process years when they were the worst team in the NBA and one of the worst teams historically, what has showed us, like, what promise does Brett Brown have? You know what's so hard about that question? He doesn't make any adjustments at all. You know what's so hard about that question, though, bro? At least to me, and maybe you disagree or have a different opinion at least. I don't know what it means because I don't. I'm not convinced that under any coach that these two guys can play together because they clog right. up the middle. So I don't know if any coach could figure it out, which then would lend lend the hand to be 
I, maybe it's not Brett Brown's fault. Maybe you know what? Guys, I maybe also, Ben Simmons not developing a jump shot means anything. I, I, I agree with you. I think that it may not be all Brett Brown's fault. He's going to be the one to go. And I think they could do a better job designing that offense. But I think it has to do with, one, Embiid being able to stay in shape and stay on the floor is a big piece to why they haven't been able to figure it out. And the other reason is because Ben Simmons hasn't been able to expand his game since he came into the league. Right. And I, I guess that's the telltale question is, is that coaching or is that the intrinsic no, motivation them. of those two guys? Right. Exactly. So how do you penalize a coach? for two guys that won't change their games. I mean, you still have seen in certain situations in the bubble late in games where Embiid is sitting at the three-point line. And that's not where he should be late in games. No, but, you know, I don't really fully blame Embiid for that because he's got to give Simmons room to go to work. I think a hard part, too, is which we haven't discussed, is the ancillary pieces, quote-unquote, around them. You've got a Tobias Harris and an Al Horford who have they have no business being on the floor at that time because they're completely irrelevant defensively and they're not going to be main options on the floor in crunch time. It's either going to be Simmons or Embiid, and those guys are kind of just sitting there, standing there with no place to be, go, or maneuver. It's a tough spot. The team is so fucking weird. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, this is a ragtag group that really shouldn't be together. But unfortunately, unless you trade one of the two superstars, they are. Because I know we talk about how most contracts can be traded, but it is gonna, it's gonna—it's going to be really hard. I won't say they're untradeable, but it's going to be really hard to trade Tobias Harris and Al Horford. Who, you know, you question their defense. Horford's a great defender. He's just, he's lost out there. He just doesn't have a spot. No, because you want to know what his spot is? It's what the fuck Joel Embiid's doing. <laughs> he right. just You're does things differently. Right. He doesn't overpower guys or anything, but he hits mid-range jump shots, stretches it out to three, and passes out of the post. How the fuck can he do that with that giant human being in the middle? It, it sucks, man. So so what do you think? There, you said they're a second-round exit. You, you feel confident in that? I mean, they're a six seed, right? I think they're going to finish six, yeah. Celtics are a three seed. Can you see them beating Boston or no? No, they're a first-round exit. Okay. I mean, I'd be shocked if they make it to the second round. It's... They're, honestly, bro, their only hope to make it to the second round, I think, is Ben Simmons playing with his hair on fire because I think he creates a lot more. Ben Simmons isn't going to play. Ben Simmons is going to play. No, of course. That was, uh, that's what I'm saying. Ben Simmons is out yeah. for the year. I'm saying right. that was their... He, ben Simmons went under the knife. He's done. Yeah. Um... But I thought I think that was their only hope is Ben Simmons going out of his mind where he's setting up Tobias Harris and other guys to hit wide open threes and he's averaging almost a triple double every game. He's not there. Joel Embiid, Shake Milton, Jordan Richardson, Tobias Harris, and fucking Horford are not going to do it for me against Boston. I don't think so either. And yet, strangely enough, it wouldn't shock me. Because they can put together four great games. I just don't think it'll happen, but they are capable of it. It's it's so weird. They're the weirdest team. I have to be honest and say it would shock me if they beat Boston. Okay. Because Boston has its questions, too. No, it does, but I think they're a more well-rounded team and much better coached. I definitely agree with you on the coaching. 
I just got to see the other guys really continue to keep the mojo that they've had so far since being down in Orlando, and I need Kemba healthy. Remember, Kemba is a liability defensively late in games. Oh, the yeah. good thing is he doesn't have to deal with Ben Simmons. What else out of the East has intrigued you? Probably the last thing I'd have to say is Miami. They've looked really good as well. They have looked really good, right? Like, Where do you think the cap is for them? Hey, if the if the ball bounces right for them, they could find their way into the Eastern Conference Finals. Mm-hmm. That's the cap. You said cap. That's the absolute cap. Yeah. I think I don't think they get through Toronto or Milwaukee, so I'm saying a second round and out. No, I think I, they'll I think beat Indiana. Uh, did they beat Indiana tonight? I believe they did. I think they did. Yeah, that was the five o'clock game. I think. Yeah, no, they Pull beat them, up. but uh, it was it, yeah, they beat them. Close. They beat them by about twenty. Oh, okay, perfect, because it was close at the half, but that's awesome. Yeah, I mean, Indiana has its problems, even though T.J. Warren's gone absolutely nuts, which is really cool. Yeah, Olin Depot's still playing himself into shape, obviously, from that knee. I don't think Sabonis is there, right? No, Sabonis isn't there. So, I mean, they're missing missing an all-star player. He made the all-star team this year. But, I mean, the Heat have a fun roster. I mean, Drogic is out there, and then obviously you have their big two of um, of Jimmy Butler, Butler. And, their, of, and their other all-star. Um, what's his Bam face? Bam Adebayo. Bam. And then Kendrick Nunn is a guy who might win sixth man of the year. Yeah, Myers Leonard's pretty good too. Myers Leonard, you got Tyler Harrow, who is not scared at all. No. And Dude, then you they're have, fun. You have the all-time shooter, fucking Duncan Robinson. Duncan Robinson, yes, great pull by you. That's a good roster. That's a good team. Michigan, go blue. A lot. Go blue. I don't take any. I would never bet against Jimmy Butler, and I think your cap of them being an Eastern Conference Finals team. Did you know Duncan Robinson? Little known thought. I I did remember this. He actually started out playing at a Division three school. I did not know that. How did he get missed recruiting? Someone fucked up. And by he, someone, I mean a lot of people fucked up. Yeah, try like 120. <laughs> exactly. No, dude, I actually totally agree with you. I wasn't gonna. I wasn't sure if you were gonna say that they were a second round cap or not. I agree with you. I definitely see this team heading into a potential conference final, given the kind of volatility of these other teams, right? Well, the only thing is the two teams that are the least volatile in the Eastern Conference are the Toronto Raptors and the Bucks. So the ball would have to bounce the right way. They'd have to get out of a second-round series early, and the Raps or whoever they would play or the Bucks would have to play, play you know, they'd have to get out of the first round early, excuse me, and the Raps or the Bucks, whoever they may play, would have to, you know, they would get have upset. To, they would well not get upset, but they would have to go seven in order for the Heat to beat them. But yeah, their absolute ceiling is the Western, Con- or is, excuse me, the Eastern Conference Finals. I think what's really interesting to me is the fact that it, Middleton is the second best player for the Bucks, right? And we saw what happened last year when they ran into Toronto. Now Toronto doesn't have Kawhi this year. Their best player, arguably is Lowry. You've got Siakam and you got Van Vliet. But though that's not a team where I look at and say, that's a juggernaut right there. You know, so there is potential for one of these teams in this crazy situation that's not a traditional postseason 
to to be upset and have a team like Miami run deep, get an upset, and go. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, it, Marcus All is on that team too, though. Yeah, but I don't really. I mean, at this point, let's be fair. If we're talking about Marcus All being a focal point of your team, eh. No, that's a good point. And, and listen. I think either team could definitely lose, but I don't think Giannis is letting them lose. I don't I don't think he's letting them. I think it's more or less the the rest of the supporting cast. Yeah, I he's mean, not a LeBron. He, I think, he's not LeBron and he's not KD or stuff. Who? Giannis. I don't know, man. He's not shooting the ball like that. We're going to have to see. He might just dominate this year. We saw him try to do it last year, and, and it didn't work out very well. Well, he's added a three-pointer, just to keep him honest. Yeah, no, I get it. And it's not even a knock on Giannis. It's more a knock on his supporting cast. That We're going to have to see Chris Middleton make huge shots at huge points for this team to advance the way we want them to advance. Definitely agree. I still have the Clippers winning the finals. What about you? Yeah, I, I still will. But I'm going to tell you right now. I'm a little concerned about them. I don't love the mojo that they've had. I, I don't love the fact that Lil Williams left the bubble. I don't love that they're taking games He's off. back, though. I know. I don't love the fact that Pat Bath left for a little bit and went out. I know Montrezl Harrell just came back. They're really coasting. They just got – they lost to my Nets last night. Yeah. And I still and think – I still think when I when they flip the switch and it's winning time, I'd probably take only LeBron over Kawhi in the league. I think and you're it'd be right. T- and it would be a tough debate at this point right now. I think you're right, and that's why I would still agree with you. But let's be frank. We've seen some teams – Really, who have had that coast, like, you know, like that cruise control on for a while now, we've seen them not really be able to turn it on when they need to. And Paul George, I I remember way back when this quarantine happened and we talked about players and I kind of brought up Paul George as, uh, as a question mark. He's lost and hasn't played well in a lot of big-time games in the playoffs. He's played terribly. Uh, I really need to see him prove that. Oh, I I agree with you completely. Um, But when you have Kawhi on your team, I'm going to go with you to win the finals. Last thing before we move on from the NBA onto another subject, I'm going to move back to Western Conference and say that the Pelicans were an absolute disappointment. Brandon Ingram couldn't really find him. Zion playing two minutes a game. Lonzo found his jump shot, and then he lost it. Um, this team just looked terrible. I think they're poorly coached. I think Alvin Gentry's a dead man walking. Agreed. And I will. T- I, I I think that Kenny Atkinson down there would be an absolute gem. Yeah. They were talking Tyron Lue just because of the connection to uh, David Griffin. We'll have to see. Yeah, Ty Lue would be good. Um, you know, I, I do love Atkinson still. I'd love to see him get a shot and. I don't know how you feel, man. I know Simmons brought this up on his pod with Rosillo too, but I was kind of thinking this way the whole time, as I'm sure you did. I, Zion can't play at the size. He can't. 
I think he's going to come back. I, well, I hope he's going to come back. He he's not he's I'm not saying he's in bad shape because he's an absolute specimen of a human being, but you know stop watching Bryson DeChambeau play golf and watch Colin Morikawa play golf. <laughs> I love it. Yeah, you gotta get. It, he's not in basketball shape. That's all I'm saying. I wasn't. Yeah, it's not even bad shape. It's just like you're in really good shape if you're just a regular human being. Yeah, if like you're, you're going to the to beach, be- if you're going to the beach, bro, like you're killing it. But yeah, no you're, doubt. You're running, you know, God knows how many miles on a court, and not to mention changing directions, and you're very explosive and yeah, all that quick, shit. The quick twitch movements scare me more so than anything. Oh, couldn't agree more, man. I mean, he yeah. just looks... Watching him jog up the court, not when he's at full speed because he's so explosive, but when he jogs, it's just uncomfortable for me. He's got a lot of weight to move around. It's not comfortable for anybody. I mean, when Is people it comfortable say for him? I don't know. Like, when people say, like, he's a once-in-a-generation athlete, I'm like, yeah, yeah, he is. Because nobody's ever been that size that's run and done like and done the kind of movement that he's done. Again, which means leads me to believe that it's only because he's so young that he can get away with it. Yeah, well, you might as well get into more basketball shape, we'll call it, early, right? I, I think it would behoove him to do so because you know what you and you say you say you know what that no other player has been able to run and do whatever he has with that kind of weight neither has he he missed a shit ton of time this year with the knee (laughs) that's a great point yeah he has he doesn't have the ability to say well at least i've been healthy to kind of prove the doubters wrong you know no and john moran for rookie of the year let's not be crazy it's stupid if you disagree and I understand that Zion has all of the intangible that make him that guy, but let's be frank, it's it's absolutely fucking good. There's well, no doubt about it. You have to actually play basketball to win the award, right? Uh, and he's and Jaws put up some great highlights and some great numbers down in Orlando. You, you can't say anything. Um, before we move on, I'm going to do this because I'm a homer. I'm just going to do it real fast. I'm proud of shit of my Nets. Seven seed. They've, they're four and two. They've beaten the Bucks. They've beaten the Clippers. Both of when they were at full strength. I know that the Bucks rested some guys. I don't want to hear it. The Nets are playing second, third, and G Leaguers uh, the entire game uh, outside of Levert, Harris, and Allen. Those are their best players. Harris Levert has been, made himself a lot of money. Yeah, and so is Joe Harris. Well, Levert's already on a on a team friendly extension, so he's good. But Joe Harris. Like we said before, when we were talking about the Lakers needing three-point shooting, Joe Harris is going to find himself on any team he so desires. I certainly hope it continues to be with the Nets. You say it won't be. I unfortunately agree with you. Uh, If they can find a way to get it done, it would be amazing because he's incredible. But I got to say, both of our teams suck. But given the situation with the Nets this year and the team they went to the bubble with, Tyler Johnson's played well. Um, the fact that they're four and two in the bubble and have beaten the Bucks and the freaking Clippers, and they're going to be a seven seed. If go you're going to tell Toronto, me that both of cool. our teams suck, then then you must believe in that seven levels of hell thing because I'm in the cellar down at seven, and maybe you're at one. If both of our teams suck, <laughs> I'm saying just this year. I'm not talking about when Katie and Kyrie come back. I'm just I mean, saying right uh, now. even this fucking year, Sean, did you watch the Knicks play basketball? Probably not, because they haven't played in fucking four months because they didn't make the <laughs> bubble. And your team's in the playoffs. I don't want to hear it. Both our teams suck. Get the fuck out of here. 
Oh, come on, man. I mean, everybody was shitting on the Nets. They're like, you're going to go 0-8. Like, what even is this team? Why are they even there? This is a travesty that they have to go. I can't wait for them to lose so they can go home. That's what everybody was saying. All right, that's all good and fun, but we're talking about the Knicks here. The fucking Knicks. Oh, yeah, no, but... Everybody said that the Nets sucks. Everybody too. said this, that, and the it's third. The Nets are in the sucks. goddamn playoffs. It's a different playoff. level of sucks. No. It's a different level of sucks. The Knicks are absolute trash, <laughs> dog shit, garbage. The Nets are not that fun to watch. But they play good basketball. The Knicks, just, I, would, I would give my fucking left nut to have a seven seed. Okay? <laughs> a seven hey, seed. I'm going to predict right now that you guys are going to have a chance to make that next year. Yeah, we'll fucking see, man. We'll fucking see. But anyway, I wanted to give a shout-out to my boys because I'm proud of them. Anyway. Well, there you go. That wraps up NBA. That wraps up NBA. You and I still um, have the Clips winning, correct? We do. Okay. Yep, absolutely. Um, let's finish up with some college football before we go into some pop culture and whatever else. This is classic college football. The only thing in this world that has run worse than this country is the entity that is NCAA <laughs> football. Last, what, what was it? Last Thursday, right? They call an emergency meeting of the commissioners to talk yep. about COVID. Hello, COVID's been here since fucking January. We're talking Mark about Emmer. COVID in August? Well, Mark November. Emmer, Mark Emmert looks, makes Donald Trump look brilliant. Uh, are you fuck? How much does that guy make? Because I think that they should show us some receipts. And ask for their money back. Because hey, I don't know how you much. Call, it's at least five. Do you call an emergency meeting regarding COVID because, oh, shit, these players aren't just going to risk their lives that aren't getting paid any money? Maybe we should do something about this? Fuck you. Are you fucking joking me? An emergency meeting five months into COVID when this emergency meeting should have been had in fi- the latest May. The latest let me explain something. And to I you. just became a college football fan. I'm all the way out. It's been fully replaced by golf. <laughs> well, that's fair, and I don't even blame him for it. But let me explain something to you. When you have poor leadership, things don't go well. Hey, what have well, we been talking about? Not only hey, when people, you... go fucking vote in November. Yes, thank you. Vote you. for a new NCAA president commissioner. Well, because this is a fucking joke. Well, the other thing is, it's not only when you have a poor leader. They have... Each major conference has a poor leader to go to under him as well. Well, so, the problem is is that they they have too much power where they should. There should be a commissioner that says, "Hey, listen, this is what we're going to do. Strive for and attempt." The problem is, is geographically and regionally, you have too many different teams that have way too much different weight depending on where they are. And the problem like, is is that all the teams that and I think honestly I, I I'm going to be the one to say it, all the teams that hold a lot of weight in college football, aka the southern teams, most of those people don't even believe in COVID. So that's probably totally. why it took them till fucking August whatever it was, 8th to call a goddamn meeting. You know what I mean? But guess what? All the educated people are on the coast. So we kind of figured it out. But the problem is is that let's just take this regionally, top power five by power five, right? So the Big Ten today, the original report said that all of 
the all the teams decided that there was not going to be a college football season. That that report was debunked and said that conversations were ongoing. Well, you have Ryan Day at Ohio State, which is a team that's always competitive for not only a, a conference championship but a national championship. And you got Jim Harbaugh at Michigan, who's the highest paid employee of the state of Michigan. Not to mention you got D'Antonio at Michigan State. You got a lot of high quality, huge and highly paid coaches and ADs at these schools, such as Wisconsin, Northwestern, Penn State, the list goes on and on. They don't want to just cave. They know the significance of playing a season. But the Big Ten is probably the most academically sound and the most progressive because they're mostly in the north. I get all of that. They're going to be the first to pull out. The 12 is then going to be the next, right? You play in California mostly. You play in Oregon. You play in Washington. By the way, you know which was the first one to pull out? It was the Ivy League, bud, because they have fucking brains. Yeah, and the Mac did it this weekend. Well, the Mac's so, leading money, so. <laughs> exactly. But you're right about the Ivy League. They have the most. But, hey, listen, you talk about. The, and, of course, I don't, fault, I don't fault Harbaugh for wanting to play. I know he wanted to play. He just released a statement that he wants to play. They got, unless it's football-related, I don't even know if Jim Harbaugh can formulate a sentence. Oh, no, but, the, but the, that's not the point, though, is that he's one, his voice means too much because of how much money he makes and how much sway he has in the university's decisions. So that's what's the hard part about trying to decipher this entire thing is you have too many people who are in position of power who are head coaches uh, and the highest paid employees in the entire state. So that's not an easy decision to say we're not going to do this. Oh, really? Well, I make more money than the president of the university, and I'm going to say that we're playing. So you guys better figure out how we can do that. I was talking about the Pac-12 earlier. So you've got places like Stanford. You have USC, UCLA, Oregon, Oregon State. The list goes on and on. Those schools, we've already seen players protest and say, if you don't have safe conditions for us, we're not going to play. Then let's migrate out back east to the ACC. Okay, In the northern part of the coast, you have schools like Boston College. Okay, nobody cares if they don't play football. All right, then you migrate down, and you've got the Virginia schools, Vautech and UVA, never championship or, you know, real, like, college football playoff competitors. Then you go down to Duke, UNC. Not really. It's not until you get to South where you've got Clemson, hello, Florida State, they live and breathe football in Miami. Those schools are not going to just surrender and throw the white flag up. Big 12 is, you know, Midwestern America. They want to play, especially down in Texas. Then you go to the SEC, which you talked about before, which are schools that don't even believe this thing exists. And this is what the SEC says. It just means more in their slogan. They fucking mean it just means more. So we can see certain conferences cancel. The SEC ain't canceling shit. They're playing. And you can make a very good case that all four of the college football playoff teams, such as Alabama, possibly Georgia, Auburn, and Florida – are all legitimate LSU up there, the defending champs, legitimate chances for the college football playoff. I'm not arguing with who's good and who's not. I know college football enough to know who's good. I'm a college football guy. Well, I was. You know that. But with that being said, it's just so – I don't know if it's maybe because I actually have a brain. Maybe these people play too much football and they just don't even have one anymore. But (laughs) it's just like – how do you think you're going to be able to get not not I mean baseball is having and basketball a little bit with Lou Williams and a few other guys is having trouble keeping one or two or or 10 grown ass fucking men that make real money 
in a in whatever you want to call it, a quarantine or a bubble, how do you think you're going to keep a hundred? times 120 or even if you go just the sec schools 100 players times what how many schools are in the sec 12 yeah how are you going to keep those guys in check not to mention how are you going to have the proper facilities and the proper testing granted those schools do have a lot of money so and a lot of money comes in from college football so they'll be okay but how are you going to keep those kids who don't make any money not to mention they don't get any health care after college, how are you going to keep those kids safe? Well, I think that's that begs a bigger question, though. Is, that is a much bigger question, but it is the question, in my opinion. Que- yeah, and, I think... And it comes... Like, don't get me wrong. It's going to suck that there's no college football. Guess what else sucked? The fact that I, ha- I wasn't able to leave my house for three months. But you didn't see me saying, well, I make more money than fucking, not that I do, but I make more money than fucking Governor Cuomo or whatever the governor of my state is. So fuck you. I'm going to do it anyways. That's just asinine, and it's the dumbest thing I ever heard, and they should act like fucking adults. I know it's really hard for Jim Harbaugh to act like a goddamn adult, but let's grow up here. We'll run it back next year if there is a next year. I just think there's too much on the line for these schools because we talk about how many scholarships and how many sports these schools are losing because they are funded by football. Like literally football pays for like seven, eight, nine of the other sports on campus and scholarships for these. I understand that. And you're still going to have the TV deal. I get that. They still have the SEC network and all that bullshit, but I bet your ass that there's a lot of money generated by fans showing up to the games. Of course there is. There's not going to be. But if you, if you, in the S, but again, if you just look at it and say, okay, some conferences won't play, some will. If you said that Alabama's playing Georgia in five weeks in Athens, Georgia, or in Tuscaloosa, Alabama, and you say, hey, whoever wants to come can come, a hundred plus thousand people will go. I agree. No, dude, I I completely agree with you, and I get that it's a big deal. But guess what those people are? They're fucking stupid. Sure. My point is that you need to take the power out of and the decision making skills out of those people's hands by saying, we can't have a season this year. It's too unsafe. But that's my agreement with premise of we need a better NCAA commissioner. We can't leave this. To the decision makers, presidents A of the university and B commissioners of each conference. Because it eventually be they're going to start decision. thinking about money. Well, that's all it's about, though. Because the biggest fucking nonsense that we have in sports outside of the IOC and probably the World Cup slash FIFA is, is, is the NCAA. Because the NCAA continues to make it a huge huge deal that these are student athletes when you know i know and everybody with a brain knows that that is not the case they are athlete students if you want to talk about low d1 d2 d3 okay sure they are student athletes they're going to class just like us they have the same standards to upheld just like us but when you're talking about the top college football players and college basketball players college hockey players even sometimes lacrosse depending on the geography They don't have the same standards to uphold that everybody else does. So this is the NCAA's fault 
This is why they're in this situation, because if you treated them like a business and you paid them like you should, you should let them make the money off their likeness. We could let this happen because it would be in the players' hands, just like it is in the pro sports leagues. Right, man? Like, I agree with you, deciding whether they want to play or not. I agree with you, but with that being said, I just think it's an... Honestly, I I wouldn't be I wouldn't be that mad if college football folded. A lot of a lot of people down south would be upset, but hey, that's one less thing I got to keep track of. Yeah, I, I would still miss it because I think there is a way where you can do it responsibly if cooler heads prevail. The problem is though is that they won't because it's not handled well by one important uniform leader. I disagree with everybody. I agree. disagree with the way I think that there's a way to do it responsibly because I just think it's damn near impossible. Even if you just play a few conferences and they only play within conferences, because they're starting to open college campuses up, whether it be 25% or whatever. And, I mean, you're not going to be able to contain 100 players. Let me run a scenario by you real fast. Now, I think one thing, because somebody proposed the, you know, possibility of college basketball. I said, well, that could be That's more feasible. It's feasible the fact that you could take players – and, and actually know that basketball works because we've seen it on a scale. We haven't seen football. Well, there's on a scale. more football players on one team than there is probably exactly. an entire conference for basketball. Totally. But the thing I was going to bring up to you is this: Could you, in a hypothetical scenario, pull all the football players from the teams, and let's say you have 75, 80 players per team, right, off of campus, and say you're going to have to continue to be required to uphold this level of academic, you know, achievement. Well, most people are going to class online anyways. But, but that, so that was going to be my point where you could do that and you could put all these teams who are in a conference in a bubble and sequester them to a hotel for two, three months and two or three stadiums and they could play each other. Whereas, and, and same with college basketball, the problem therein lies well, if they're student-athletes, you can't take them off campus. I agree with that completely, but my point is you have to take the decision out of their hands. To give it to you on a bigger scale, let's take a look at the tri-state area that we live in. Why has COVID been reduced? Because there was rules in force. A lot of people aren't happy about them, but we're forced to wear a mask. We're forced to socially distance. distance we're forced to stay at home as as much as we should more, but to a certain extent, we're forced to stay at home. Guess what states are struggling with COVID right now? You're talking about the states that, oh, you don't have to wear a mask, only if you feel like it. You don't have to stay indoors, only if you feel like it. The, the, but I think... And at, a, at the highest scale that I can give you in this country, or if you want to go global, I can go the countries that are fucking literally throwing people back inside, and they definitely have lower numbers. That's because somebody up higher with better information and that's better educated made a decision and took it out of their hands. I am completely against a college football season because I don't think there is any feasible way, one, that these brainiacs of the Power Five conferences and whoever this genius commissioner is are going to be able to come to a decision, and two, the players and the coaches who only care about winning are going to be able to do this in the safest way possible. See, the only thing that I would disagree with you about is if they changed finally the fact that these are student athletes who are really athlete students 
and you put them in a position where they are babysat and cared for off campus by their head coach and a bunch of other well, there that that opens up a whole nother can of worms because if you change that that opens up the door in the future for them to be able to start to get paid and we know the NCAA doesn't want to do that so that will absolutely never happen but see, that's my point is when I brought up the hypothetical, I'm not saying it will happen. And under the current circumstances, there's no way you can have a college football season, which is what we agreed upon in the first place. My biggest argument and pushback was why can't there be a system in place where when students have to and are forced to learn online virtually anyway and don't have access to either A, return to campus, or B, don't feel safe to do so, why can't you take football players or basketball players, or any of those top sports, and say, hey, we're going to put you in a position where you have to sequester, we're going to put you in a bubble, you're going to have to, outside of practice, just like you would if you were on campus, do school online, get your degree, hold a certain GPA level, that would work. The problem is, is because of how fucking stupid the NCAA and how hellbent they've been for years of holding on to this false narrative that these are students first and athletes second, we're not in a position to do that. And it's a real shame because if we did, if they did change the laws just a little bit, just a little bit, Mark Emery, and didn't hide under a fucking rock for five years, you would have a position where this sport could take off. Unfortunately, you don't, and you're leaving it to commissioners for different regions and different conferences. To your point, where many of them, particularly in the South and, you know, in Midwestern America, they're not going to make the most sound decisions. Absolutely not, because football is more important than their lives sometimes there. And listen, we're arguing semantics at this time because all of our hypotheticals are never going to happen, and I don't see a college football season happening either. I don't either. I was just trying to, like, have a legitimate discussion about alternatives that I've, like, thought about throughout this whole process, and it just is a shame that they won't come to fruition. You know what I mean? Well, it sounds like you're putting your resume in for commissioner of college football or the NCAA. I would rather just have the NCAA because, as you know, as a diehard college basketball fan, that's a, that's a fucking shame, too. Absolutely, man. Um, it, it is a whole shame because – you know, that's a huge part of America's pastime. They played that through everything. But you know what? This is going to be the first year without college football, possibly college basketball getting cut off as well. And that sucks. But I, I think the most important thing is to keep the general public as well as the students and even the dumbass coaches that only care about winning and would run their their star player over with the bus on the way home if it guaranteed them a win the next week. I think we need to keep all of them safe. Couldn't agree with you more. Obviously, safety is the biggest thing, and I think another thing that the NCAA and, and these coaches who make so much money and these ADs that make so much money can exploit out of these players is, hey, you know you have a draft stock to get. You know you're trying to move up from a possibly a third-round pick to a first if you have a good season. You need a fresh year of game tape. They can exploit these kids to get, to get there, and that's another sickness of the – quote-unquote slavery that is college athletics in modern America. It's a shame, but you know what? If these players can band together like they're really trying to do, I don't know if there's going to be a season. I don't either, man. And if it is, you know, I would it surprise you if the SEC is the only conference that plays? 
Not at all. And I, it will get <laughs> views. I promise you that. There will be eyeballs on that TV. It makes You'll me sad. What? You'll be gambling and betting. I'm, I'm, I mean, listen, Mike Leach is in the SEC now. <laughs> He's your boy. That's your team. But I don't know. I may boycott it, honestly, out of pure anger. All right. Pure I'll anger and laziness. That. I'll hold you to that. All right, all right. Anything else going on for you? Just hopefully voting. Joe Biden still has yet. Still has yet to announce DP. Um, yeah, uh, I'm waiting for that. Obviously, I think you've done a really good job of staying up to date with everything and not letting what we've talked about the last few months go by the wayside. I know I've really tried to and stay up with current events and stay up with what continues to be a really dark time in American history and, and hope that things turn in November. And I'm not saying Biden's the best for it. Neither have you, but God damn them. Do we need it? Sometimes you're not looking for, you know, the greatest president of all time here. Sometimes you're just looking for, you know, the best option. You t- you're taking the lesser evil. And I don't think Joe Biden's evil, but you know what I mean. No, I'm with you. I don't think he is either. And, and you know, people disagree and say, well, do you really want an incompetent brain-dead president? Well, you know what? We already have one. So, yeah, I'll take a different one. Um, what, have you, what have you been watching? What have you been listening to? Uh, by the way, I did download the pod that you told me to download. I just haven't queued it up yet. I've had a lot of daily ones to get to, but I'm ready for it. Gangster capitalism. So I'm ready. All right. Well, thanks for letting me know you downloaded it. I'd like to know when you listen to it. Um, I'll keep you posted. <laughs> thank you. Um, yeah, I've, I've honestly just really dove into sports a lot. Um, you know, I, again, I'm watching golf every single second I can. I'm watching baseball, basketball. Um, aside from that, I'm really not watching too many shows right now. Podcasts, honestly. Um, if you have any recommendations, I am almost fresh out. Oh, wow. Okay. Um, yeah, I'll have to think of a few and send them over your way. Um, I know I mentioned the Bakari Sellers podcast to you on The Ringer. I gave that one a listen. I listened to the one with Hillary Clinton. I'm not the biggest Hillary fan, but I do like what she, the way she spoke about how she would have dealt with the pandemic. Yeah, I mean, it's nice to hear somebody who I know neither of us were big Hillary she fans. Was more just just, to, she was more just pointing out the obvious, but it was nice to hear someone that has a little bit of power would have, you know, say the same things that we thought, like maybe not firing the epidemiologist or, or doing some of the other neglectful things that our feelers leader did. Yeah, absolutely. And I think she did it in a really nice way without like sounding like a miserable, you know, upset bitch. I think she did a fucking awesome job of sounding unbelievably presidential and just like a really good citizen would. She's she is great. I I really I wish I liked her more and I understand her non redeeming qualities, but on that podcast of just hearing what she would have done, that's why I said it's like she's not the lesser of two evils. Like she 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 was qualified to be the president of the United States. There's no question about it. Um R two C two moved over to the ringer. They've had some good guests on. Kemba Walker was most recent. Um trying to think of what else. Any shows Rogan's, you're into? Rogan's had some interesting people on lately too. Um shows, no. No, I've been completely out. I want to watch Palm Springs on Hulu, the new Andy Samberg movie. I haven't watched that yet. Still need to watch the Epstein docs. Oh. Uh, 
So I'm, I'm lost on those. How about yourself? No, not really. I did not watch Palm Springs. Um, I thought about it. Watched a couple. Um, watched a couple Nazi movies recently. You know, Nazi movies. Sean, you, you, you know, you're, um, you're a big Nazi guy. Yeah, I, I don't support the Nazis, but I find it interesting. <laughs> um, I watched The Pianist, which okay. was um, that's a tough watch, but a great movie. And then I watched Jojo Rabbit, which um, that one I almost cried. That was ScarJo, right? Yes, yes, she was the mom in that one. Um, that was a tough one to watch. Hitler was very funny in the movie, I have to say. Um, you don't hear that often, but Hitler was no. funny. Um, the the director actually played Hitler, and I thought he did an excellent job. Tough job, to, tough task to give himself, but excellent job. Um, that was the is tough it funnier one to watch. Than the, is it funnier than the actor that played Hitler in uh, Inglorious Bastards? Um, funnier in a different way. Cause he like, he borderline makes you like, like Hitler. Oh shit. It's like, oh, he's a riot that Hitler, <laughs> but obviously <laughs> that's, that's not true. I don't believe that. <laughs> Thank you. Thanks for clarifying. We cannot have anybody. We can't have any of the fucking people going out here and saying that. Sorry to interrupt. No, I'm anti-Nazi. Okay. Good. I am pro Nazi movie and, and historical events. Well, that's that's very important. Other than the ones that killed killed off the Nazis, obviously. Yes. Um, what else do I watch? I watched Boogie Nights for the first time. Great movie. <laughs> Did you really see that for the first time? I had never seen it, and I kept queuing it up in uh, in my Showtime <laughs> oh, account. And then I had a few hours set to the side one day. I think it was before we did a pod one day, and I was like, "Fuck it." <laughs> it was longer than I thought, but I was just gonna. I was like, "I'm gonna bang it out." Okay. Bang yeah. it out is very. Yeah, I was uh, just gonna say really operative word there. Um, what'd you think? I don't know. Is it Marky Mark's one of his best movies? Uh, it's up there. Departed. Sure. Yeah. A few others, but I mean, he did great work in that movie. It's a it's a Marky Mark. Uh, it's a staple in the Marky Mark. Uh, if you want to go down that rabbit hole, um, but overall, I mean, obviously, Burt Reynolds running that shit. You got some John C. Riley action. What do you think of the overall movie? Are you happy you saw it? Do you feel fulfilled? It's it's something, all right. I'm happy I saw it. Um, about probably twenty five to thirty minutes too long. Yeah, it's a long one. But definitely a good movie. Uh, will I watch it again? No. That's one of those movies that all you have to do is see it once. Totally agree with you. So, yeah, that's pretty much it. I like it. I did watch Once Upon a Time in Hollywood again this past weekend for the first time since it came out last year. I've never seen Man, it. Oh, dude, do yourself a favor and watch it. What's it on? I, I, I ended up just pulling it up on demand. Uh but, I don't have cable. You know that. I'm still in a bout with YouTube TV. But fuck uh, no. him. I figured out how to get Fox Sports Go on my computer, and I bought a special piece to plug my computer into the TV so they can fuck uh, I fucking love it. You can tell them to, to suck it. Um, but when I, I will do you a favor and find a streaming outlet that has it. But it is uh, – it's. I mean, it's Tarantino at his finest. It's revisionist history. It's the Manson family murders. It's Leo. It, it's Brad Pitt. It's Margot Robbie. It, it's fucking great. It, it's an awesome movie. Uh, definitely, I will make sure I find a way for you to be able to watch it. Thank you, boss. All right, well, I'm going to have to get you out on the golf course soon, too. 
Yeah, well, that sounds like a good deal. You watch Once Upon a Time, and, and I go play at least nine holes for you. We'll start you off with nine holes, just to get I you I think hooked. that's fair. That's I always like to start people off with nine holes. I don't want to intimidate anybody, keep them out there too long. It's going to be a long nine holes, my man. No, you'll be fine. I don't know. You say that. I have my doubts. But as long as I, like, don't hurt anybody or lose, you or know, 15,000, I don't think I'll hurt myself. I'm definitely concerned about who might be in the crosshairs. But <laughs> All right. Well, we'll get that figured out. We'll get it figured out. Maybe you can give me a couple lessons before we go out there. Maybe on the range, you, you show me how to grip the club. You show me how to make sure, you know, I got my feet set and make sure I'm generating enough torque. You know, I'll listen to you for a little bit. Taking some lessons from me, you might as well just, you know, I don't even know. You might as well just take buy new clubs and throw them in the garbage. Shit, man. I'm not <laughs> looking to be a pro. I'm just looking to respectively play nine. There I you think go. If you, can, if you can do that for me, it's already a win. All right. We'll take it. <laughs> we'll take it. All right, brother. Let's talk again next week. Everybody, thank you for tuning in to another episode of Sorry to Interrupt. Uh, Tom, be good, man, and I will see you soon. Yes, everybody, go out and vote. Go out and vote. We're a couple months away. All right, peace out.